everyone, and welcome back to Talking in Stations. I'm your host, Rain, and I'm joined by our fabulous engineer, Artemis, who will probably not be too talkative today, just so you're aware, but they're definitely pushing all the buttons in the background. And then we have two guests. We have both BJK and Luke. We're going to talk us through the history of fraternity. So I'll kick it off with introductions from BJK. Hey, I've uh, joined fraternity uh, with a club decoy like the end of 2020, start of 2021, when we saw fraternity making a move towards Veil of the Silence and campaigns there. So I'll probably touch on some of the things happening from that timeline onwards. All right, and then Luke? Hi everyone, I'm Luke Annan, so I'm the exec of the EN side of, of the English-speaking, well, non-Chinese-speaking side of fraternity, so I joined FRAT mid-2018, kind of 2018, but I'm going to take us from the history from when Winter Coalition was formed back in 2017 up to where it is at the present day. So can we get a brief overview of fraternity? I feel, so I'm in pandemic legion, so I know fraternity from the aspect that they were an ally or at least close allies to PanFam. But for those who may not understand NullSec politics or deliberately ignore it, can you give us a brief overview of kind of who they are now? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I mean, fraternity is the alliance that a lot of people describe as the Chinese alliance. I mean, a lot of that comes down to its origin story of, of, of it was. Now, fraternity is actually a, a mixture of Chinese and, and non-Chinese players living out of, of Vale of the Silent. However... A lot of the leadership is Chinese, so I kind of speak for the, the non-Chinese side, which is why you probably don't hear too much about us kind of shouted around. Alrighty, thank you. And then I know we want to jump into the history. You said starting about 2017, but fraternity has been around longer than that, correct? Correct. So fraternity, fraternity proper was formed in 2013, but it goes back even before that when uh, Nali Sekunda was in, still in Dell under a coalition called the, the Hangu Coalition, uh, if I remember correctly, which was which pretty much most of the Chinese players on, on TQ brought together. But I think the, the hope is to try and do something else on that kind of ancient history as well to bring that to a lot of people. Uh, yeah, early. okay. So, so that will help clarify. We're at least only focused on 2017 onward. I also think it's worth pointing out, because I don't know if everyone realizes this, but China, so you're talking the Chinese Alliance, etc. So China actually has its own server called Serenity. So that's mostly, it sounds kind of weird because everyone talks about tranquility as like this single shard, et cetera. But due to internet laws in China, they have to have it separated. But what ends up happening is a lot of Chinese players wanted to play on the normal tranquility. So they actually, it's either like VPN or they're just able to access it and play. No, that's right. So if you kind of look at fraternity, yes, there is, there is definitely a, a block that are, that are mainland uh, Chinese and, and then kind of using the VPN to get onto TQ so they can play across kind of multiple time zones rather than Serenity, which is a bit of an unusual EVE experience because everything is focused in, in one real time zone, which you lose a lot of the, the subtlety of the game that way. And also, obviously, there's a lot of kind of Chinese nationals that don't live in, in mainland China, right? And, and so they can't play Serenity without using a VPN into China. So they play on Tranquility as well. Yeah, okay, thank you. But yeah, so yeah, just, just to help folks understand that, that we're just focused on Tranquility and we're focused on Fraternity 2017 onwards. So I don't know if Luke, you want to kick us off then with some of the history of Fraternity around then? As we, as we jump into this, could you quickly, sort of what's the significance of 2017? Why did we choose that as the breakpoint? So for me, 2017, so I used 2017 because, so 2017 was when the, the, the wider coalition Winterco was formally established. And also before 2017, while there was lots of, of individual wars, uh, the information is a little bit more spotty because there was less kind of 
non-Chinese speaking in, in fraternity. So pulling it together is pretty difficult. And also um, around that time was when kind of Winterco became more or fraternity became more known because that's when the first wars with kind of legacy and test started kind of erupting, which is mostly when people uh, will have heard of fraternity the first time. Yeah, I, I remember that. And it was kind of surprised me when you said 2013, because I know, I think I knew a fraternity back in like 2018. And a lot of that was between a lot of the fighting and the wars. And then like Wintercoat felt like it was like, oh, there's fraternity. And then they have this whole coalition with them. And like, it took me a while to figure all this out, but I'm not really super into the politics. So a lot of, a lot of the kind of coalition elements started to coalesce slightly pre-2017 when there were lots of smaller wars like the wars with with phoenix federation and fas so freedom amongst the stars so the, the, the russian group and when a lot of those dissolved that's where a lot of the other kind of alliances kind of came part of the coalition however it's a very complicated story without going back to 2013 because a lot of it relates to kind of legacy relationships between you know fraternity and nali and fraternity and n3 and, and in AAA sort of thing. So the, the 2017 felt like a logical place because that's where most people would have heard fraternity for the for the first time, right? Because of the water test and UALX. Okay. So I'm looking at the graph there. So there was a couple things within 2017. So you're wanting to start at the Winter Coalition being established? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so Winter Co. was established kind of mid to late 2017. Initially, it was a coming together of a large part of the Chinese player base that operated out of OSY and Curse. I mean, t- to be fair, even today, if you go to OSY and Curse, there's a couple of Chinese corps that kind of still kind of live and operate down there. But we, we decided to come together formally and then start to take SOV between December 2017 and February 2018, which was wars between kind of Winter Coalition and Solar Fleet Alliance. I mean, it's a bit of a name from, from, from kind of the past. As well as around that time, if I remember correctly, Triumvirate, Gas kind of went AFK and ceded a, a, a fair chunk of, of veteran and, and wasn't really interested in, in, in operating. So Fraternity kind of filled that, filled that void. And then the, kind of the next step of that really was the, the, was the it's on the map in 2018, was the, the kind of Keepstar onlining and Deterit. And that was, it was done over Chinese New Year, if I remember correctly. And it was, it was quite a big thing because it was the, it was the first Keepstar on Tranquility that was from what was fundamentally part of the Chinese community. So that was, that was quite, quite a big deal. And it's worth noting at that time, obviously, a lot of the groups that you see today, like Ranger Regiment and PLA and Goons, were kind of all still kind of wrapped up in, in fraternity. So that's kind of gets us to that point. And then probably the first event that everybody, everybody really knows fraternity from was in March... 2018, when we decided to drop a Fortazar in QE TAC, which was immensely, obviously space belonging to, to, to kind of Test Alliance at the time. And largely that was a response from Test. Test had a SIG called DKS. I'm not going to pronounce the full name. It's like Dino Commando. It, it's a kind of German name. And that was their, one of their kind of hot dropping SIGs. So they were kind of hot dropping pretty heavily in Deterid. In, in, in kind of 2018, and then that fort went down as a bit of a first step of, you know, the, the, the best defense is an offense kind of approach of going, right, no, we, we you know, if, if we can't have you on our borders, we're going to push you away because, yeah, well, uh, I think that, that, that part's kind of, kind of logical, right? 
And that was really the first, the first time fraternity had been in a, a big war. You know, we'd, we'd had previous wars with people like FCON and, and Freedom Amongst the Stars, and we'd have been involved in the peripheral wars kind of early on with kind of Nally, but that was the, the first start of the real, you know, the, the really big wars, you know, kind of fraternity kind of coming of age. I mean, you're you're kind of underselling the the size of this war. I remember during the war itself, it was like the long war. It just kept going and going and going and going. It did. And when we get to the the, the second war in 2019, that was the that was the six month Sino wall slog. Which, yeah, I'll, I'll go into that one in detail in a minute. That was a, an an interesting war. But effectively, during that war, we had kind of pushed. So that was when some other alliances have started to kind of coalesce into Winterco. So the, the main ones of note are kind of Lord of World Alliance, who are obviously no longer with the coalition, which some people have seen recently, and Blades of Grass Alliance. So Lorne, so they were formerly from Goons way back when, or from the Imperium way back when, but, but I don't know their history too well. Pushed from 40 down to the, the kind of southernmost part of Tenerife. I think. You've got. A, I think I've done a dot land link that you can put up. That's got. That's got the kind of what the spread of space was at the time, and then obviously UALX happened. Um, so I'll just wait and see if that. If you've got that map, so it's a. Yep. Here we go. So I'm just seeing it on the screen, and so that was what the the state was before UALX, and then you know then you get to that that kind of that battle, and and obviously UALX was really the first super fight since Btakar. I can't like the the big big super fight since Btakar. And yeah, that was that was a slog, and and it was kind of an interesting interesting situation because you had you know, Legacy and Goons kind of on their keep star with with the former remnants of the the DRF, obviously who later kind of coalesced to create fire, and they were on that they were defensive on their keep star, and obviously you also discovered they have a lot of shield shield titans, shield titans versus armor titans. Shield titans tend to be able to take a bit more of a punch because of the way that shield reps work, and it was. Uh, if I remember correctly, they also still had AOE damage on the death of a Titan at that yes. point, if I remember correctly. Yes. Which caused no level of server issues because obviously you've got these Titans popping and, well, I mean, people know what smart bombs do now, right? So I think that was the last big fight with AOE Titan damage as well. Yeah, there, I, I remember this one because there were so many issues with that fight. Like there was something along the lines like when the server, like the server nodes were just doing terrible. And this was when your client would crash even if your game was still functioning. So like it was like saying, so that was like the 32 bit client. So after it reached a certain amount, I don't know what it was like a certain memory or whatever, it would just crash. And it was like, well, your computer was still doing fine, but the game didn't. So like, I think this was the one where like people jump their fleets in and like half the fleets crash jumping in. And then like half the fleet crashes like when they're in the location. So you see the sign go up and like half your clients just crash. There's no rhyme or reason to it. The first area effect Titan that died, I think I was talking about, I think we had like 80 Titans DC'd. Like the moment it happened, they just all DC'd. Um, and some of yeah. that, was, you know, it's interesting internet as well, right? Because the the profile of our players playing the game as well, yeah, it was it was horrible. It it, it was horrible, and I think I've kind of linked, I've passed over a, a BR, and obviously it was quite a, a decisive victory, let's say, in terms of ISK. But obviously, then the second Keepstar went down in UALX as well, which kind of exhausted. You know, no one wanted another fight like that. I think most people, you know, were pretty pretty exhausted, and obviously there was a lot of stuff trapped in, right? So people spent 
quite a lot of time in the weeks following extracting assets from underneath kind of legacy and or test and goons kind of bubbles you know we had kind of elo on our side doing a lot of the breakout attempt stuff and i think well, i think we eventually got out and from what i remember it was relatively low cost i don't think didn't lose too much getting out other than other than those players that accidentally kind of log in by mistake sort of thing under the under the guns of all the titans on the keep star similar to what happened to m2 really yeah i was with elo in those fleets they um so i remember the the people with the titans trapped had a tool that measured everything in space so you could see if you had all your apis or the esis or whatever from your ally or from yeah from your allies you could see them as a 3d point in space and then you could pull the data from the bubbles just being there and so you could see which ones could log in not in a bubble and which ones couldn't and so you had all the people who could just log in and jump out do it like right before downtime just in case and then Elo was the one doing the fleets where it was just like hey let's fly some munins and just shoot specific bubbles based on this map and that was how it was relatively easy so knowing that like i like knowing that was the approach here because i think it was only like a week like it was a hell camp but it was a week and like compared to m2 like this one was like peanuts compared to m2 yeah yeah and i think uh, there's just look at the numbers now i think it was about yeah 95 percent of the titans that were stuck in there got out and and 70 percent of the capital fleet that was still stuck there managed to get out so that's pretty good right i mean that's, that's pretty good numbers but obviously, at the end of UA, actually, everyone's tired. You know, it was it was a hard slog, followed by getting everyone out. I mean, I think most people remember from M2 how how much energy M2 tap sucked out of people, and then having to sit there and go, right now, how do we get these people out of this really precarious situation? You know, it's, it's quite a it's quite a draining experience. And kind of after that, really, it all started to kind of you know, legacy started to kind of really push Tenerifis. So. They took T2 attack in Tenerifis, they and then they killed the the Blades of Grass Keepstar that was in 16 AM. And at about the same time, we dropped a Keepstar in 46 DP that was, for anyone that remembers it, very badly timed. So this is what happens when an alliance that's largely based in another country doesn't know the national holidays of other countries. It was dropped to online on, I want to say, Independence Day in America. So uh, it's a really bad time to online a Keepstar against Test, right? They're trying to online it during, during the American National Day of Independence. So yeah, as un- not too unsurprising, that kind of died trying to online. I mean, also, if you, if you look at the kind of tenor of his map of 46DP and 77SE, it's, a, it's one of those weird regionals where you've got to gate through that regional. You, you can't jump properly over it. So effectively... You know, we screwed up with the Jammers um, being a new alliance. So the Jammers didn't online before the opposing super fleet got in there. And at which point, yeah, it's game over, right? We're not, we're not going to gate our fleet through that regional with a hostile fleet already in system on a keep star that's most likely going to die. Um, yeah, so kind of at that point, we we kind of, you know, retreated back into Deterred. And the, the kind of, I'm going to call it an armistice rather than a nit. But it was the armistice that was signed between between Legacy and Frat was signed, which was the the six month non aggression agreement, effectively between both parties. So that would have that's that was signed. I'm just trying to find my date on my list on the 22nd of September 2018. So that was kind of yeah, Frat's pretty you know bloody first taste of a, a of a proper a proper war. I don't know if anyone's got anything they want to say about that bit before we kind of move on to kind of the war the second part of the war which which was the the long six month 
blog. I do want to quickly highlight just how big of a deal UALX was at the time. Specifically, I remember after it happened, everybody was trying to predict, is this a turning point in the war? Is this where, like, Fraternity and Winter Coalition and Legacy and all of them, is this when they start losing? Because they seem to have, or if my memory is correct, you seem to have a bit of momentum going up until UALX, and then things flipped. And it sounds like you're saying that was very much due to morale hit from the constant trying to get fleets in, trying to get your people out. It was just exhausting. And afterwards, you couldn't get that momentum back. Am I remembering this correctly? Yeah, no, I, th- I think you're right. I mean, yeah, I mean, this kind of synonymous, and you can look at kind of what happened with M2, right, in, in World War B2, right? You know, that sort of fight, it does sap your morale if you're on the kind of losing side. And, and you know, that second keep star kind of put you on the losing side. And also that bubble camp, you know, you wanted to get everyone out. You wanted everyone to be happy. Obviously, the fight operated over, you know, I can't remember how long UALX went on for, but it was it was definitely a long time for most people. You know, it, just, it kind of just burns you out, right? And and Pratt and, and the rest of Winnicott had already been pushing pretty hard to try and move south in Tenerife. So it was kind of just the, the, the straw, effectively, I guess, where everyone went, we're just knackered. And and also, you have to consider when you're kind of kind of fighting that, that scale fight especially on the kind of like strategic side of things you know do you want to run back in like that right you know you know how it went the first time you have to think about do you do you do it again um you're gonna get punched in the face in the same way sort of thing so yeah that was it was definitely the turning point and and it definitely yeah it definitely factored in when when the kind of armistice idea came up from from legacy and and, and kind of closed that down really so yeah so we kind of then get to the armistice period. Uh, a couple of things happened during that. Obviously, you know, as, as fraternity, we went into kind of full force production mode, um, as you would, right? I mean, it, it wasn't a permanent cessation of hostilities. You know, in, you know, in six months that, that ended. And so you kind of just, you know, start building Titans, start building supers, put down the defensive border, because you know at some point it's likely to end up in the same, the same situation again. And, and at the time, Deterid was effectively split into two, which, which most people don't realise. So... First of all, Deserid is pretty much divided to east to west around the O3 system, just a feature of how the jump ranges work. And effectively, Winterco and Fraternity had two staging systems. We were in QRFJ, which is where our, our kind of first keep star was anchored, and, and O3 TAC 4, which was where the, the kind of, I, I guess, the non Chinese side of Fraternity kind of congregated effectively. And, and they were the kind of two strategic points, you know, one. One had range over the border with, with Tenerife, and the other had the, the border with Amenti. So it's sort of two good positions to, to project from. And during that time, obviously, we built up. And then as the armistice kind of came towards its natural conclusion point, obviously, you started to see more excursions into frat space from test and from frat, frat into to kind of test space. Obviously, ELO and Black Legion kind of came back down. I think that kind of set a couple of hairs racing because... You know, Elo's not really known for treading around quietly, so he start turning up and just shooting random structures in, in Amenti and Tenerifis and kind of pushing at the edges of what the nip allowed you to do sort of thing. And then on the 3rd of... So I think the nip ended formally in April, or that was the the, the date it should have ended. And then on the 3rd of March, there was a, a Goku fleet that kind of went wrong and ended up with the death of um, a Test Komodo. I don't know if anyone remembers this. This was, this was uh, I mean, it was one of the most enjoyable fights I'd been in, actually. But effectively, as I remember, a Goku fleet came in, 
We dropped on the Goku fleet with, with subcaps. They then pushed some caps through the gate to, to try and push us off and, and, and kind of save most of the Goku fleet. We dropped caps. Test decided to drop, well, to move their Titans and Supers the other side of the regional. So this was the 77SE 46DP gate. I think they felt like they had the advantage, and I don't know, I, I don't know why, if they didn't see us pinging for our Titan fleet or, or not. They decided to push their Titans and Supers through the gate, at which point the Komodo took one hell of a bump off the gate, at which point, you know, all, all, all bets are off. It's like it's a chance for a Komodo kill. And if I remember correctly, it was the first ever Komodo kill. Yeah, um, exactly. So yeah. Threw in at like 0300 Eve time or something. I think it all started at like 030400 Eve time. Obviously, the Komodo died. And I think from the point the Komodo died, effectively, the nip was effectively dead at that point, right? I mean, it, it's just... Whether or not people took it personally or not, I don't know. But at that point, you, you saw obviously quite a, quite a sizable ramp up of, of aggression, even though the nip was kind of straining. And then obviously the, the kind of April 2019 kind of territory, you know, the nip came to an end and, and like the full war kind of, kind of kicked off in anger again. This time, though, it was more of a defensive war, though. It wasn't, you know, we weren't going on the offense. It was now about how do we, how do we protect Deterid and Wicked Creek and Scalding Pass and, and kind of Innsmother, which is, which is where we were living at the time, and proved probably how broken Sino Jammers really are, to be honest. So we, we effectively jammed the entirety of Deterid which is, yeah, I feel sorry for the logistics guys. I mean, they, they were pretty burnt out. I don't think we've ever had to fuel the jammer, but they, they use a lot of fuel just to run, plus the, you know, turning them on and off in order to bring in jump freighters. You know, Detta is not the easiest place to get out to high sec or low sec from. You have to, have to snake through Great Wildland sort of thing. So, For um, those unfamiliar with jammers and, like, this large-scale null sec warfare in general, could you give a quick overview of, like, why they were so impactful? Yeah, so so Sino Jammers effectively allow you to jam the ability to light a Sinosaural field in, in the system they are dropped in. You can have more than one. You can actually have three in space. Only one can be online, but two can be can be sitting there in an offline state ready to power up. So it, it means they're relatively easy to power on again if you lose one. And then effectively you have a like a five-minute window. So if you offline a jammer, it tells you on the overview that it's that it's offlining, if I remember correctly, and then after five minutes it's off, and then when you turn it back on again, you get like a five-minute timer, and the the jammer re-onlines again at that point. Um, and from a from kind of a, a, a null kind of warfare perspective, you know, caps and supers and titans are really your your kind of force projection, right? If you can't get those into system, you've got to take them through a gate, and a gate is a traditionally a bad idea. Oh, I mean, I've seen and it works, but generally speaking, I think it, it, it's a bad idea. You know, so once that kind of went up, really, you were you you were in kind of subcap warfare territory, right? And because Test had to come in a specific route, so they had to come in from from either Amencia or Tenerifis. You know, you just make sure you've got people active, keeping an eye on those different routes, keeping an eye on their staging system, which, if I remember correctly, was 08 TAC in Amencia at the time. And so you can see when these fleets leave, right? And then you counter form and, and you kind of like bar the entrance kind of sort of thing and, and, you know, try to keep them out. So that's that's probably why they're, you know, and also defender's advantage means, you know, we still have jump bridges, right? They're not affected. So we can move around relatively easily, whereas, you know, the, the attackers have got to go gate to gate, effectively. I'm just reading the, the chat. So, so good. I've... 
I've been monitoring for a question. What's up, Artemis? The combat during this war, uh, caps were out of the question. What sort of were the strategies that the attackers were trying to use to deal with this? Were they just focusing on taking down those Sino jammers? Were they going in for Sov? Like, what were we fighting over? Initially, initially the plan was to try and pull to pull the jammers down. Right, if you can pull the jammers down, you can you can bridge a fleet and you can kind of try and create a a strong point to to kind of break in from. But that's also hard because you've kind of got to take advantage of it the moment they die, right? Because the moment you lose control of that system again, we'll, we'll just drop some more jammers and, and rejam the system. So effectively what we faced initially were two or three very large fleets. And as it slowly started to progress, Test and Legacy started to kind of use the, the effectiveness of Legacy, I guess, in a way. The fact there are lots of different alliances within Legacy and their own command structures. So they could send in, you know, three or four, five fleets simultaneously try and grind down jammers or, you know, mass drop Fortazars or mass drop Astra houses sort of thing. And, and, and that was the kind of grinding strategy they had. I think the, ultimately the intention there was to, you know, if you could, if you could get one system and, and you know, the, the whole point of a kind of Sino jammer effectively grid is once there's one hole in that, then it starts to become really difficult because, you know, you've got three entry points into the region, maybe four if you include Innsmother, you, know, you can keep an eye on those four, right? If you lose four or five Sino jammers, then all of a sudden that's four or five other places where forces can kind of just appear and, and you lose your ability to, you know, control the battlefield, I guess, effectively. Um, and this was also in the time before cores were a thing for citadels, right? So spamming citadels was a huge issue. Yep. And many a knights were lost fighting over five or six fortasars that were all anchored at the same time as each other. And, and, you know, forming everyone and Pam Pam coming come down from the north and, and, you know, just running around trying to kill these forts. And, you know, I mean, the jammers still helped because you could still build kind of natural choke points where you can go, right, okay, they've got to come through this gate in order to defend this fort. And if they can't come through this gate, you know, um, there's a couple of awkward, couple of awkward moments where, you know, goons and tests would be piled up on a gate trying to get into Detarid, which allowed bombing wings to go and, and hit the gate. Nothing as spectacular as World War B two, but you know, some good some good bombing runs there as well. If uh, oh. I was gonna say, if I remember correctly, was this around the time when Horde and Test were fighting in high sec over the TTT before it was fully established too? So Test was fighting right. seems like multiple different wars and areas. Yeah, the yeah, the, the TTT had become a thing. I'm trying to remember when the TTT was originally anchored. But yeah, there was still there was still conflict over it. It was before the the kind of agreement that that stands to today, you know. So Test had their keep start, Horde would try and pull it down. I suspect that kind of did distract Test quite a lot and cause quite a lot of frustration, which might have been one of the contributing factors to to just putting an agreement in and being done with it. Because you know, fighting that on two fronts is probably not probably not the best thing, right? But yeah, it was it was around that same that same time. Yeah, uh, I, I remember that. Okay. So around, and it was also around the same time where, and I can't remember which happened first, when Skill You also disbanded. Um, yes. So that was 2019. I remember that because Skill You disbanded, and it was so convenient because it was timed right after the glassing of Tribute. So while PL and NC were moving out of Tribute and Horde was in Geminate, they were able to move just directly to Dronelands and set up in Dronelands because all that space and all that sov dropped like overnight. So, yes. And that's a good call, because I remember being in PL, PL eventually deployed to go help Fraternity, 
And then so that, that was when Horde was fighting Tess. So there are all these factors at play beyond just the front between Tess and Fraternity, which is so interesting. And Skill You, when they, when they dropped their sock, they, they, you know, Skill You, Skill you and Frat have been working with each other on and off quite a lot. And Skill You kind of gave us a heads up and said, look, we're dropping our sock. If you want to take this, you know, put stuff down in the drone space up here where the old Holy Roman rental empire was, there's, there's space there. And then also conversations that obviously had to happen then between Frat and Panfam, kind of while that was going on. And then a number of the Skill You corps kind of folded into fraternity. So I think like Dopamine folded into fraternity. Those that just didn't want to, to kind of the, the hang up their hat straight away. I mean, it's kind of interesting because you're seeing some of the old Skill You guys kind of waking up again on Tranquility at the moment, which is quite cool. Yeah, so they kind of gave up their solve and, and, and that was given, you know, a lot of that then got transferred over to fraternity albeit with conversations kind of going in the background sort of thing. Then the kind of, the, 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 the death knell of the Deathrid War kind of happened. So, well, actually there were two. So one, Hest had managed to get a corp into fraternity, or at least take control of a corp into fraternity. In, and in the system of IAS, they effectively dropped three of their own jammers. So IAS was literally next to O3. With three jammers there, they then kind of that corp then dropped and, and flipped over to Tess, which meant the jammers kind of went with them because they were held by the corp, which meant we had this, you know, this situation where there was this this system next to our staging system that we couldn't jam. And so I think from that point there was about twenty-four hours of of, of effectively continuous fighting, right? To, to try and just kill these jammers. So they'd managed to reinforce the iHub because the system wasn't jammed. And on that first attempt, we'd managed to successfully defend the iHub. I think, if I remember correctly, Tess Nightmare Fleet got lanced by Titans on the way out. It's always amusing to see. We'd managed to kill the iHub and, and kind of kill the jammers, but it was about, it was about kind of like 18 hours of just <clears throat> every single person reship continuously. We need to kill these jammers, otherwise we can't jam the system and we're, we're going to have a real rough time when it comes to the iHub. We managed to get it jammed about an hour before the iHub event after all of that. That was a, a long night. And then... One of the systems in Deathrid was reinforced. So there's a system in the north, northwest of Deathrid called BOZ1. It's not a super strategic system. It's in range of like one or two systems from Amenti, but they managed to reinforce the iHub. And ahead of the iHub timer, they'd managed to kill the jammers. And this is kind of where it went a little bit south. So Test went to bridge their fleet in for the soft contest. Frat bridged their fleet in for the soft contest. However, the Titan pilot jumped, not bridged. So at this point, there's a test. I, I believe it's a Leviathan. It was a Leviathan. Some people think it was a rag. I haven't gone back and checked. But effectively, it, it jumped in. At which point, we immediately dread bombed it, got completely tunnel visioned about the soft fight, and lost the iHub because everyone was too interested about killing this Titan that they were to actually defend the iHub, which was, yeah, I mean, and that, that, was, that was a problem. And, and obviously we lost that iHub and Tess immediately dropped a fort there. And, and, you know, there was a lot of back and forth over trying to kill that iHub. iHub. It wasn't a super useful system for Tess because it wasn't in bridge range of any of their stagings. And it was, they could have put a gate there eventually, but it was, yeah, it was, that was, uh, yeah, it was, it was an awkward situation. And, but the problem there is all of a sudden you've now got another place where a fleet can jump into Deterid and it's kind of up in the north. And around about that time, they managed to slowly start to get the momentum to kill. So at the same time, actually, I should point out, because I'd forgotten, just before we lost that iHub, that was when Blackout was a thing. Oh, yeah. That was, this was the same year. That, 
was when Blackout was a thing and when Drifters randomly turning up and shooting Keepstars was a thing, which was, you know, again, uh, it wasn't Blackout's fault that obviously the war was lost, but it, I think it hurt ADMs everywhere, right? So when you're trying to, trying to hold ADMs across the entire region, that starts to become starts to become a problem. And that led to a couple of systems starting to become slightly low, lower than ideal. Uh, I think if I remember correctly, the next system test managed to take was QLPX. So that was in the, the bottom west of Deterit, but in range of their staging Keepstar. So at that point, it's quite a useful system to hold. We fought battles of hordes over it for about 30 days. After 30 days, Jammers got dropped in space. Uh, Test dropped a keep star there. When it came to the anchor, when it came to the onlining time, where obviously you know, it was it's kind of called banners, right? Yeah, we called everyone we could call, but obviously at the same time, you know, Test you had Test there. The rest of Legacy, I think, Goonswarm turned up to defend it, and there, there was just no way of getting into that system to kill that keep star. So unfortunately, it, it then successfully onlined, and we kind of come to the the kind of final stage of the war at this point which was, it was kind of at that point we'd already decided, look, we're probably not going to win this war, right? We're a relatively, let's say, relatively small alliance. I mean, Frat was a lot smaller than it is now. And, and Legacy, especially when they start calling in, in like, Goonswarm, that's quite a lot to fight, right? You know, Panfan would come down, but Panfan were far up in the north. It wasn't the quickest. I don't know, Ren, you flew down quite a few times, I suspect, so I don't know how long it took to get down there, but I don't think it's the yeah. quickest, the quickest it- route, right? Yeah, and I'm trying to think, like, unless we were called for really big fights, I know headliner of PL was a lot of the strategy was, so you had test fighting in high sec, and then that went away because Horde wanted their agreement. So, it like, them making that TTT agreement only helped test in this instance. So PL, one of our objectives, right, because PL is small compared to test or fraternity or some of these other large groups. So what we would do is we would do, like, backline stuff. So we would force them away from the fraternity front. Uh, just in general and then i think when it was time for us to like when there was like big fights and we knew where the fight was going to be and we knew you guys needed help i think then we would take the the chance of like going all the way down so i know i know pl likes to do this like wormholes sometimes are a good way or you know jump bridges so like jump bridges were still really strong then so when did the glassing of tribute end because obviously i think you guys were doing a lot of rebuilding at the time as well yeah so that was 2019 I'm trying to think because that was 2019 because that was right after I joined. Like I joined, got all my stuff moved, and then we had to move again. And that that was like one of the first things I did to help PL was doing move ops, which I think are hella fun. But yeah, so but when we set up, I know PL PL's kind of spoiled. So because we're smaller, we didn't take a lot of the sov, and we also we don't rat that much. So a lot of NC and Horde did the sov, but again, it's you know trying to get people positioned, trying to get all the logistics figured out. So. PL still was partaking in that, but like as an average line member, we would have had no idea. But I know from a leadership level, they are probably really burned out of getting everyone moved, getting everyone set up, and then immediately going into doing wars and stuff. Yeah, it's just another strain, right? Like if you're trying to do all the moving and resetting up, and it's all of a sudden, or can you can you come and help and burn all the way over to Deterred, which yeah. I think is like 23 or something, you know, plus jumps away sort of thing, because of some of the natural barriers of cash and how that kind of region works. Yeah, and then um, we. And we would join fleets too with Black Legion. I know Black Legion was doing a lot of work with Fraternity then. And so because they're US time zone speaking or English speaking US time zone, some of the PL would join that too. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I mean, ELO was, I think by the end of the war, ELO was also pretty, pretty burnt out to be honest. Yeah, yeah, it was rough for a lot of folks. I mean, but that's how wars are in EVE. 
Yeah, so so kind of just to kind of I guess wrap up on the war bit. So once the QLPX keeps started kind of online, we we kind of you know sat down and went right. We, we, ultimately, we're not going to be able to win this, right? There's now too many holes. We're we're not that large, but we'll we'll give it a couple of weeks and see where we are. And you know, it's no imminent threat to losing you know everything. And test, I think it was like two in the morning or two two a.m. kind of eve time. Test kind of brought quite a large fleet into O three, reinforced the keep start because they could and relatively low chance of them being contested and, and, and kind of kind of then went on their way. And when we went to defend the keep star, we, you know, we like everyone was called, right? And and there was a pretty sizable fleet on the keep star. You know, the gate had been bubbled and closed down. Problem was Tess chose not to take the fight, which kind of logical. I mean you've got to push your fleet through that gate and there's no other way in. And then because we'd centered everything around that system and because the rest of the region was jammed those systems that weren't jammed effectively were just it was open season to go in and toast everything right so the sovereign the structures were timed together so you know when the, the structure was vulnerable the sov was also vulnerable and, and at that point like the whole western side of 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 Deterid was was lit up like a christmas tree effectively and i think at that point it was kind of you know writings on the wall that's that's it we, we're not gonna be able to defend all of these uh, these intosis time so it was like 20 or 30 intosis timers that all kind of pretty much came out roughly together effectively that was around about the time where where agreement was struck between us and to test effectively we we kind of said right we're, we're gonna move out we're gonna you know i think there was there was some transfers from keep stars i don't know all the exact details of that one i assume there was a bit of a fire sale of infrastructure effectively and and we were given i think it was i don't know two weeks to a month to move out and and started the the kind of long winding kind of sino chain up to up to the drone drone region and up to oasa so i guess that's probably the end of that particular chapter and so i guess it's kind of kind of going to questions and some of the other bits of that to put this in the perspective of the rest of like the universe if people weren't participating in the war like this was when the universe really felt like it was a, a, a two-party system. You had PandaFam, and then you had Imperial Legacy, which is the Imperium plus Legacy Co. Tests uh, coalition. And that was just, it was those two. You were either with them, with one side or the other, or you didn't matter whatsoever. This is also, so we had UALX, and I think after UALX, X47, X47 happened, and that was up in PanFam space. Yeah. But that that was where like it really so you had BTAC R5 and then you had a long standing list of changes of like keep stars coming in, um, prosperity or whatever people want to call it, where people just like Roracles online, everyone mining, everyone getting all these ships. But then what you had is you knew all these groups had massive amounts of capitals and super capitals and they're like, yeah, man, let's go. Let's fight. UALX happens. And it was the like it was bad to play in that like it was not fun you were like sitting there watching your module cycle oh client crash time to open it again and like stuff like that x47 was the same thing this was when they had the issue too and i remember this from ualx where if you were on a keep star and you're a titan you fire your doomsday and in theory you have like that five minute timer which you know is extended and and tie-dye and then but with sitting on a keep star you automatically tethered after an hour or not after an hour after a minute so it was like if you had such like a huge defender advantage, which was like super tedious. This was this was also around the my cat's gonna push stuff off my counter. She knows. But this was also around the time when I think it was 
like this was right after I think it was Imperium was attacking Horde Space, and they were they were trying to like Skynet fighters over, but like it took so long that there was essentially no fight because they were like, well, we have to wait thirty minutes for our fighters to go. So all these people wanted fights and they wanted to see things because it had been so long since we had seen some of this stuff besides like random dread bombs on things. But at the same time, it, you know, it was like everyone did UALX X47 and they're like, Oh my gosh, I hate this. Something at CCP needs to change. Like this sucks. Everything, you know, you know, it's not fun fighting even when you're winning because of how tedious it was. And that's when CCP started to come in and change some of those mechanics. Right. So the tether, they changed the, the explosion damage or whatever they change. And so a lot of that made stuff like M2 tech, which we, which we see later made it a lot more manageable. And that was really nice. Yeah. I do. I do think a lot of people, I mean, I think when I think about like bad servers or things that cause the servers to fall over, I also think of like FWST, right. Um, there was like six and a half thousand people in, in, in system. And actually most of that wasn't the super fleet, right. That was people, I mean, there was the pan fan, the, the kind of pappy super fleet, I guess. But a lot of it was kind of subcaps and dreads flying around. And, and actually, it was relatively... I mean, they just turned off Crime Watch, hadn't they, at the time, I think. They just stopped the bounty stuff. Yeah. And the the difference was was noticeable, you know. Whereas when he was talking about UALX, it was like, oh, there's 500 people in the system. Well, good, good luck doing anything, sort of thing. Yeah, no, that's a good call-out, too, because we had more than just M2 with... World War B2 or Vietnam, it was actually like super convenient. Like I remember all those Keepstar drops in NPC Delve, like people were excited to fight. Like they're like, yeah, let's go. And it was hard. Like it was hard effort, right? You still had to pay attention. You had to focus. It took a long time, but nobody was like, oh my gosh, that was so tedious. I could like, I clicked my buttons and spent two hours doing absolutely nothing because I clicked them and it didn't work. And then my client crashed five different times and blah, blah, blah. And so yeah. like that, I think like that's a huge, like, like this war between test and, and fraternity was like huge for helping like quality of life of the game. Even on top of like the quality of life and people wanted to fight, this is also happening at the tail end or, or right smack in the middle of Oracle's online, right? So you have probably hundreds of pilots who are just now getting into their first super or their first Titan. They've never flown it in a battle before. This is their first chance to get their super capital in an actual real fight. They are chomping at the bit for that opportunity. Everybody wants this, and stuff is relatively cheap, cheaper than it has ever been before. Like during X-47 as an example, it was amazing to see, I think it was the Imperium who used just tackle super carriers. So they jumped in a super carrier fleet at zero at the Keepstar, in order to tackle titans so that they could keep them from tethering and doomsday more of them. Like, this is the sort of crazy environment that all of this stuff is happening in. Yeah, but that also made people do really daft things. Like, I'm, I'm, just reminded me of a story, and I'm sure this made Reddit, of, of one pilot in... It was, it, was, it was in the therapists rather than fraternity, so, so kind of cure, but also made all of his money running, like, uh, not escalations, Satio stuff and all the rest of it. So it was quite a wealthy player and lost on the 20, on the 4th of August, lost a Vanquisher. On the 29th of August, lost another Vanquisher because they didn't know what they were doing with them, right? They, they kind of just, they'd kind of ground the they'd ground like ISK for injectors, which is a whole other subject, I guess, um, and kind of bought these really expensive Titans and were just yeeting them around space. Yeah, as I say, this guy lost two Vanquishers in the course of 30 days. I think, I think there's probably a record there somewhere. 
whether it's a good record is a different different story. But That's yeah, hilarious. But, I remember that. <laughs> I can't. I can't even remember the story. Now. I think one died in like one died like just moving home and decided to move home without the rest of the fleet, and so just jumped into some random system where tests were waiting for him. And I think the other one got warped off the Keepstar down to a test siege Astra House and just died on the Astra House unceremoniously. But yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely interesting times because I think it's. Kind of artists pointed out, like a lot of people were getting, you know, into their big toys for the first time, hadn't used them. I mean, you kind of had to coordinate with them and go, "Yep, you've had this for a year. Now it's time to actually, uh, time to actually use it." And, and and all the weird mechanics that kind of center around it, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, kind of, I guess at that point, it kind of comes to, I guess what you'd probably call like more modern era frat, right? So, kind of heading up to the drone space, probably more of the frat that new players recognize as the kind of the, the, the kind of Panda Fam era, I guess, because both alliances were up in the drone space. And, you know, if anybody looks at drone space, you, you kind of can't, you don't want to fight inside the drone space because the, the, the region is so overlapping of each other that it would just, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting, kind of an interesting region. So we got a snake up to, through, through In's Mother, through Cash, which is not Cash, Cash, oh, that's it. I just have to look at the map now myself because I'm. Yeah, it was no, it was Cash. Cash again is one of those weird regions. It's like a weird natural, natural boundary, up into, up into Outer Passage, and we we kind of held up in Outer Passage for about probably about two months. We kind of stayed in Outer Passage while we were building up Oasa and Peregrine Falls, getting our infrastructure down, getting our staging system set up, and it was also a good break, right? Because everybody that was now in in Outer Passage had already spent the best part of two, two and a half weeks moving across five or six keep stars to get into Outer Passage. So we you know, cool down there, just take a break, refuel, do some ratting, make some misc back. We were out of the front line at that point because, you know, if, if the war was to follow, it would have to follow up through In's Mother, through, you know, and, and then some of the entities in the war, like Fire, for example, were, were wanting to recolonize In's Mother. I think part of their argument at the time was that it was part of their ancestral homeland, just like everywhere else. I, I have to ask, Luke, were you in leadership at this point in fraternity? So I, yes. So I, I took the reins of a director in fraternity when we were in the middle of that move up, effectively. So one of the, you know, one of the things, obviously, when you lose the war is you tend to lose a chunk of members, right? No one likes to be on the losing side. And, and a lot of the non-English speaking side of, oh, sorry, the, non-Chinese speaking side of fraternity kind of moved out into another alliance called Vindictive, which people may or may not remember that kind of, they kind of held up out of passage and then latterly then joined legacy. So a lot of the, the, the non-Chinese speaking courts left, I think there was about three of us left, maybe four. And, and at that point I kind of took the reins over that part and kind of gone, right, let's, you know, kind of almost put it in, put it into care and see how we rebuild it and all the rest of it when we get to our, Kind of back home. So that was, yeah, that was when I kind of moved into leadership. I, I should have mentioned that bit, actually. Before I've got that, a... Okay. And the reason that I ask is I'm really curious what the mood or just generally... Was it chaos? Because you mentioned you just lost a war. That means you're losing players. Your directorate, your fleet commanders, they're often extremely burned out after constant fighting, constant industrial upkeep of all those sino jammers, all those citadels. 
And like in the wider context, Fraternity is this relatively new alliance. Winterco is a relatively new coalition on the grand scheme. You've participated in two major wars and ostensibly lost both of them. Like, did this take a toll? What was the mood like in Fraternity just from the inside? It definitely took a toll. So, on the obviously speaking for the non-Chinese side of fraternity, it definitely took a major toll, right? I mean, we, as I say, we lost most of the corpse down to about four. I, th- I think it's about four. It might be five, and I'm doing some of the, a disservice. The kind of the the kind of Chinese side of fraternity, yeah. I mean, they spent you know, the last six months shielding jammers and, and and everything else. You know, I think they were all burnt out as well. Obviously, our main FC at the time for the coalition was Elo, and you know, he'd. He shifted his time zone, his kind of sleeping pattern, about three times during the war, as as Elo does. And I think he was, yeah, he was. I think he was majorly burnt out, and like, you know, it's time to take a break and kind of, you know. So yeah, the the morale was pretty bad. That said, you know, we weren't we weren't dead as an alliance, right? And and, and I think that was the the thing that we we tried to focus on, right? You know, you have to. You have the war with Test, and if you kind of see the wars over the years with Legacy, you know most alliances that got into that got in the way of that wrecking ball that was Legacy either died or kind of got became part of Legacy effectively, right? So you know we'd survived, and and it's just you know you could get to that place where it's like right, let's rebuild. We'll try again. We'll learn from the mistakes of which there were many. You know, being a young alliance, you kind of overreach and and you know realize that's a bad idea. But yeah, the the morale was the morale was low. It started to pick up again as we got into Owasa. So when we got to Owasa and we were kind of like, right, we're settled. It felt like safe, safe space, obviously. It's up in the drones. It's, it's not on the front line. Felt relatively unlikely that Test would kind of chase up into the drone drone regions for, for, for obviously various kind of geopolitical reasons of the game. And yeah, we, we just then sat down, started rebuilding Working out how we can make, you know, how we can make ISK, how we could get people active again, how we could kind of start training up new pilots, new FCs. Because obviously, one of the biggest things is when you lose a lot of your corps, you lose most of your FCs at the same time, right? So, you know, that was it was a low point, but you know, you can either quit or or push through it. And and, and we kind of just took the view of let's let's push through it, let's not just fold and and give up, sort of thing. If if you know what I mean. Were there any key decisions made about, like, hey, let's try something different, let's change the way we're doing things, maybe the leadership structure during this time? I mean, obviously, there was relatively, I mean, partially through people leaving, partially from me taking up my role, we, we did pull the leadership structure apart quite a lot. So one of the things we tried to do was create a situation where the, the two sides of fraternity were a little bit more self-sufficient, a little bit more autonomous to each other. Mean by the two sides. Sorry, sorry, that again, Armas. What do you mean by the two sides of fraternity? Sorry, so what I refer to is frat CN, which is the Chinese speaking, and frat EN, which is the non-Chinese speaking. Obviously, trying to operate an alliance that has you know two majority player bases eight eight hours apart from each other is is quite a complicated thing to manage. So we wanted to ensure that while you know we're one alliance, they kind of had their own redundancy in their own command structures. Because one of the things that hurt us in in the, the the test war would be, you know, something would happen overnight, and then you know we'd you could try and accommodate for it and deal with it, but then certain parts of leadership wouldn't be awake for another eight hours, and and you know you kind of had to then kind of almost recap through and retcon the stuff that had happened in the evening before. So by doing this kind of leadership division, 
it meant, you know, we, we don't question each other generally as leadership. So if one makes a decision, even if we disagree with each other, we keep that in private. Do you know what I mean? So that was the kind of start of that rebuild exercise, as well as bringing in some new directors and some new FCs and, and, and things like that who could kind of have that vision to help rebuild. We also changed a little bit about how we managed our FCs in the sense that historically, and I don't know what other alliances do. I'd be interested to hear what PL do, Rain. Historically, unless you were kind of like a skirmish FC and above, you were restricted on what doctrines and things you could use, which is what we used to have in Frat at least. And at that point, we actually we got rid of that and basically said, if you're an FC, you can use pretty much any subcap doctrine. You then AAR it at the end, and we'll talk through whether it did go well, whether it didn't go well. Um, and that way you get the experience in those things, because one of the things we found during Deterridge was our newer FCs didn't get the experience in Eagles and Munins and the things they needed in the big fights, which meant it all rested on one or two FCs. Yeah, a lot of what PL does, so PL has, we, we call it FCI, but it's essentially people who help out the FCs. And a lot of time, like anyone in FCI is able to ping. So for example, like if I do, a lot of times I'll do like Logi Sino work or whatever. So I'll be in FCI and then it's like, oh, if Rain wants to run her fleet, I can just ping for it and I just do whatever I want. Now, granted, the confidence people have in me determines what they actually, if they join my fleet and what they, if they actually bring the ship I want. So just because I can ping, hey guys, get your Titans fleet on Rain, doesn't actually mean people are going to go out and do it. But it does it does help, for example, right? So a lot of times, and usually usually in PL, it's more like a group effort. So obviously headliners are main FC, but that doesn't mean headliners sitting there by himself, making every decision solo and doing all the work solo. So he'll have other people there to help him to get like relay intel or to do something like on the side, like when we do entosis, somebody else leads that. If we have a dread bomb with subcaps, somebody does, somebody does the dread, somebody does the subs. Same with like bombers or people target calling for like jackdaw or support ships in a fleet. So that's that's kind of what we do. So it's not really limited. It's all based on how much you want to volunteer and step up. But it's also people people's confidence level. So like I said, if I ping for Titans, people are going to be like, Rain, what the heck are you doing? We're not bringing new Titans to your fleet. And, and, and that was kind of one of the, like, we previously had some limitations. So if you were a junior FC, it was up to X value. If you were a skirmish FC, it was more. And 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 some some scenarios that works really really well. In other ways, it doesn't because as I say you you just don't train up the FCs with like the doctrines you're using mainline, which means they never improve. And we kind of abolished that when we moved into space. It was when we moved into OASA. It was like you know what, go do it. If if it goes horribly wrong, let's just talk and progress through it and work out what you need to do differently and 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 you know why yeah. you chose that doctrine and kind of like encourage more growth, I guess, rather than expecting people to know exactly what they were going to do. Yeah, and I I like that approach, especially because it feels weird when people say, oh, I'm an FC, but then they're like, I can only fly caracals. And it's like, well, you can fly more than caracals. Are you only comfortable flying caracals? Or is it your organization is prohibiting you from flying anything else? And I always think that's weird the, to have FCs, but they don't really FC everything. They can only do like this very like little narrow scope of something. I can... I can maybe understand it if it's like, hey, you can ping for subs, don't ping for caps. Like, that makes sense to me because I feel like you can, like, FCing subs is dramatically different than FCing caps. But yeah, that's, it always, I just always thought that was weird. So I, I like that approach that fraternity's taken. So, so that would have been, yeah, so we were, this would have been late 2019, I guess, early 2020 at this point. So we, yeah, so we kind of, kind of bunked down. You know, kind of rebuild, ref, you know, allow people to refill their kind of their kind of wallet sort of thing. 
and, and and also kind of went full force into like how do we you know how do we grow do we do we recruit more corps do we try and do we find ways of helping the corps kind of grow themselves at the time we put in a whole load of things for new bros so you know even if it was just isk making right it was oh here's a whole load of public moons they just frack just go mine them we're not going to ask for tax on them we're not doing anything like that just go and make money so it's kind of fully fully into the rebuilding thing and then we get to early i say like spring 2020 so pre-world will be two we'd kind of re refilled our kind of coffers and we're like well, what where do we go next where, where do we go and find some content and uh, you go look at the map and like well, we don't really want to go down the east, we've just fought Tess. Don't really want another war with Tess at the moment. That's you know, that's kind of going from from frying pan into the fire sort of thing. Actually, did we have the conflict in cash before that? Can you remember when that was, Rain? Do you remember when Tess and Vindictive were pushing cash? That might have been end of twenty nineteen, early twenty twenty. Similar sort of time. I think we kind of overlapped two different campaigns. Yeah. So, if I remember correctly, at the time. Yeah, so there was two things going on. So, fr- so fraternity decided we were going to go down to we were going to go down to Vale of the Silent. This was before any of the kind of like moving stuff or, or or any of that. And we're going to go to Vale of the Silent. We're going to go drop some some soft there, and we're just going to have fights, right? It's somewhere to kind of rebuild, rechain kind of UFCs because drone space is it's a weird, drone space is a bit weird. Sometimes it's really active, and then a lot of times it's really quiet. You know, Vale is at the time was pretty active. It was just after the the kind of glassing of tribute and Vale. It was kind of a bit of a fight club sort of kind of thing going on down there between like scum lords and Forsaken Empire and Reverberation Project and Dog. I gotta I gotta stick my foot in here and say when Fraternity decided they were going to jump into Vale of the Silent, there were a lot of like small gang or mid scale alliances who were just very unhappy because Vale was silent, oh, yeah, as you mentioned. It was. It was a brawl. Like, there was... I'm trying to remember who they were. They still exist. Forsaken Empire, maybe that's the name? But there were just tons of these small to medium-scale alliances just brawling it out with each other. It had a really cool vibe from my perspective. I remember loving talking about the wars that were happening there, doing podcasts at the time. And then Fraternity's like, yeah, no, we're just gonna go stomp on your playground and pee in the sand pit. And we're like, well, great. This was before that bit of it. Initially, initially it was, it was like we're going out for content. I think Vi2K got taken by Lord of Worlds Alliance. I think if I remember correctly. That's kind of where we were staging out of, because it kind of gave some activity. But at the time, it, to be fair, it wasn't an invasion campaign at the time. It was here's some content. Let's go do some stuff. Then it it started to kind of tiptoe towards that. So round about the change when things like brms the brm changes started happening and and, and all the rest of that all of those changes where you, the you know ccp's clear route and the route of the game was diversify what you're doing to make income diversify your gameplay don't just kind of just grind the same system in initial for example that was where we decided to make the change and say right it's it's time to kind of formally move down to Vale because Vale obviously gives you access to a lot more both PVE as well as kind of PVP kind of content. You know, Vale is like, if you're going to fly out from Jita on a small gang roam, well, you're probably going to go to Vale or Tribute because they're the easiest to get to. If you need to, you know, if you need access to low sec or, or, or kind of high sec for kind of mining, exporting, you know, whatever, again, Vale gives you, you know, good access to that. Whereas you know, one of the downsides of the drones is, you know, you're four regions before you get to low sec, if I remember correctly. 
so that was kind of where that shifted from we're just down there for some fun to actually we're gonna we want to move the alliance down there because it's, it's a better place for the alliance to be it's a place where you know the, the kind of numbers have, have kind of swelled again we've rebuilt a bit but now actually our pilots kind of want to get involved in more pvp and more small gang pvp and we can't really give that to them in the drones um, i mean Everything you say makes complete sense, and I 100% believe that that might have been what actually is happening, but from the outside looking in, it seems like another case of, oh, it's just a content deployment until we start winning, and now we've accidentally conquered this reason. Like, this is PL's playbook to a T. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get the argument. I, I can honestly say it wasn't the initial intent to go down there and conquer everything. I mean, that's whether, whether or not people choose to believe or not. You know, it, it, it is what it is because you're right. Yeah, different alliances do go into different areas. Go, well, this is content, and then all of a sudden, actually, we have a chance of taking the region. So let's go and take it. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, it was to kind of get to where we are like now, which we'll talk about in a bit to do with, you know, PanFam and, and Fraternity and PanFam and Windico not being formally blue with each other and, and kind of, you know, reconfiguring the game, at least in the north and, and alliances and all the rest of it. You can't do that inside the drones either, right? So. Yeah, that was kind of when we moved to Vale. And, and it, what was kind of interesting was that Vale campaign kind of then backed into World War B2. So we were already doing our stuff in Vale and, and World War B2 started. So we were kind of living in a combination of Vale or, or the more PvP-orientated players were living in Vale and, and the more PvE-orientated players were still living up in the drone space because they hadn't moved yet. And, and then World War B2 happened, right? So this is kind of where you get into the... This is kind of where you get into the scenario of, oh, how much did FRAP do or not do during World War B2 sort of thing? And it's just like, well, we were still in the process of moving house and, and you know, executing our own campaign sort of thing. So that's kind of where you get to this this kind of scenario. So we, we started moving down and, and, and obviously at the same time kind of fighting in World War B2. So, like, FRAP was actually pretty active in Fountain. Both, both sides, you know, both the EN and CN time zones were really active in Fountain. And the, the the kind of then as we got into delve proper that kind of quietened off a little bit just because of the time zone that, that, that like goons had their stuff deployed to right if I remember correctly it was all EU timed and it was just such a misalignment for the for the, the kind of Chinese player base right unless unless it was an M two for example where it kind of spanned up till delve downtime and then we would send reinforcements in at you know o five hundred Eve time sort of thing you know that's kind of the the, the kind of world will be kind of situation and obviously everyone knows how well will be when i'm not i'm not going to rehash out the world will be i think enough talk shows have done that and then we kind of get up to 20 like the, the middle of 2022 right uh, 2021 sorry um, this is, is that where bjk comes in yeah hi friends you've been sitting there quietly in the background <laughs> you've been giving us such a detailed history so, yeah it was pretty exciting that uh, that transition i think being in in horde at the time when the first transition was moving into Vale, I could really see potential in the growth there. Like back at what you were saying earlier, like it's, it's more centralized in the middle of the map. It's easy to get to for both allies and hostiles. There were a lot of really good EU time zone groups in Vale at the time, like quote, scum lords, French, no French connection, sorry, toilet paper were there. You had Roque Capel, like loads of really tight groups that were really, really hard to fight. Like, uh, you mentioned, you said like went in and tried to steamroll it or or uh, destroy that little sandbox. It wasn't that easy. They really put up a fight. Do you want to talk a bit? I, I guess 
I'm going to leave, give you a couple of minutes, PJK, because I've been rabbiting on, because you did a lot more in the kind of Veil vale tribute, the kind of moving from Veil vale and taking tribute side of things. And I guess you might have your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, that was, that was definitely a really exciting time. So, like I say, moving from Pandemic Horde at the time, you know, we just finished that big wrapping up in Vietnam or World War B2, where the the last few fights were taking place. Personally, I was looking for somewhere to bring all my friends back together. We built our corporation, looking for somewhere to grow, somewhere to build. And out of everywhere on the map, looking at how Fraternity were trying to push into the EU time zone and US time zone and really build something there. So conversations we had, Luke, back at that time, there was definitely something huge to be had over here. The first few fights we had were you know, against toilet paper and, you know, they would form triple digits and I think we'd form 40, 50 on a strat up. Oh, man, that was some uphill stuff. But like, I, I first got my real taste of PvP in like 2015 with Triumvirate and where like every day, 1900 on the dot, they would form a Rattlesnake fleet or a Cerberus fleet and they'd storm from UMON into LXQ2 until they took all of Ethereum reach. Like, whether they would win or lose, they'd still do that every single day. So, uh, trying to take on everyone in Vale and Tribute at the same time, you'd you'd know like we'd start forming. You'd have your eyes in three different staging systems because nobody wanted Frat to move in there that currently live there. You'd see like people start grouping together, and whether or not we could or couldn't take the objective, we would still go out. Like we'd start in Munins, realize we can't win, so we'd reship it to Caracals and just play instead. And every single time, we'd we'd try and make that push. And we had a lot of really good fights. I think for us, making sure there was something to do, making sure people had a reason to log in. Like from from a pilot in the, the Delve War, at the end of every day, you had something to talk about. Every day you had a reason to log in because there was always something happening. So how do you sustain that? Well, you get involved in a campaign of someone trying to, trying to take more space. So um, yeah, huge stuff happening in Fraternity and Vale that really caught my eye. And there was a lot of energy momentum when I came, um, seeing just how many non-CN plays were here. Like the kind of good vibe community that was being built at the time was it was really inspirational to see. But um, probably one of the biggest fights we had was finally trying to push the D7 ZEC iHub from toilet paper. I think we we were still staged in H5 at the time. So just the MR4 uh, Geminit bottom right and corner entrance into Vale of the Silent. We're pushing in from there. And I think there were there were two big things that happened in that fight. First of all, we formed so many pilots in H5. I think we formed like 250, 300. It was a lot for the server. Trying to bridge out of that one system, like 50% of the fleets made it. And 50% of pilots couldn't either take the bridge, couldn't take a Stargate out of the system. Like there was two minutes. <laughs> two minutes until the time started we had hundreds of people trapped that yeah, is so weird i've never heard of that really it was mad situation. it was almost like the the node wouldn't let you off of it for some reason i, I wasn't yeah. like we hadn't reinforced it right we hadn't put a reinforced request in for 5h because it was like why would we reinforce it we're just gonna leave such <laughs> <laughs> just couldn't exit this one system it was i've never seen it before i've, I've never seen like i've seen some weird server performance I've never seen a system refuse to let you leave a system. Yeah, like seeing all the fights that happened in Delve previously where you'd have like a thousand people logged in each system at any given time to just move in what felt like a relatively small fleet out of a system was just, that was nuts. But 
that was the first thing that went wrong. But like, secondly, toilet paper put up a really, really good defense. We really fought hard for that. I hope that they were just better on that day. And yeah, we had to back out of that system. And then the FCs got together and thought, right, well, we want this space. We want to live here. You know, we just lost this, what's supposed to be a big fight for us. How do we move forwards? Well, every single day, 1900, let's go out and do something. Whether we hit an Athenor, whether we follow up an existing timer, like whether th- there's always going to be something to do with the aggressors here. We've got the luxury of of picking what is or isn't important to us, and then they've got to react. And I think if, over the course of a couple of weeks, we'd finally managed to push Winterco into a position, uh, sorry, push the free men of the North in a position that it was a bit too much. And they decided that, well, we're going to have more fun as a group if we didn't have to to do all of these defensive timers so let's go and have fun elsewhere and yeah that was finally taking uh finally taking tribute and after that system fell um because the groups against us were a lot of smaller groups once you eliminate one of them you can then start picking off the other ones like if they were all together it was very very difficult to fight but when you start focusing on on one at a time it became slightly easier to to push and make progress there so i think that probably comes on to the, like, the last thing, I guess, the, the like last major thing that, that Frat has done. Um, and I know, BGK, you're going to have some stuff to say about this one as well, which was post... So post-World War B, obviously a lot of the alliances... So Frat kind of... The, the, the non-Chinese side of speaking side of fraternity grew quite heavily after the back of World War B. Obviously, a lot of corps decided, you know, either their alliance was, was falling apart and, and you know, they, let's say they were a legacy alliance and they didn't obviously want to join goons and... You know, for whatever reason, didn't, didn't want to go into PanFan, you know, so, so Frat kind of grew quite a lot. I think most people probably looked and commented at the time off the back of World War B2. And obviously, you then kind of got like Fraternity's kind of old rival, so to speak, which is the, the, the kind of Army of Mango situation, which is, is the, the one hangover from, from those Chinese players that did play on Serenity. The, the, the dominant player on, on kind of Serenity is PIBC, which is the is, is the Serenity name for, for Army of Mango's coalition, effectively, on, on TQ. And from memory serves correct, it was AOM, Evictus, and Vindictive kind of broke away at the back end of the war and kind of held up in Esoteria and, and decided that's where they were going to kind of plant their flag, even with everyone else kind of moving back north. And as part of that process, they... They renamed their kind of coalition, right? Because at the time it was just AOM, and they renamed their, their coalition to, to PIBC. And, and for a lot of, for a fair chunk of fraternity players, them renaming their coalition to PIBC took the animosity to a different level. It's right, no, you're now trying to create, you know, rep- you're going to try and make history repeat itself on TQ sort of thing. And, and you know, it's, it's time to kind of go to war and, and have the fight that everyone's been going on about since 2018 that's going to happen when, when AOM arrived on the server. So, most people know the events of 2022, obviously, with the, the kind of keep star shenanigans. But before that, in about September 2021, the, the non-Chinese side of fraternity deployed to UTAC-W in Stan, so just on the SO border, and effectively spent the time trying to chip away at the, the kind of non-AOM parts of that coalition. So in this case, it was largely vindictive, although they were not massively active and mainly evicted. Who, you know, and there's a lot of frat players from the, 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 the kind of test, test war and death that were still around that kind of wanted to pick a fight with Evictus as well because it was revolved in that war and it was 
little little bit of a grudge match. And over the course of kind of two or three months, uh, I think up till December, we kind of just slowly chipped away at Victor's, kind of continued having fights backwards and forwards. And I can't, can't remember when, when exactly, but I think it was, was it December that Victor's decided to, to fold as an alliance? Yeah, towards the back end of December. And then, yeah, and then basically they, and I don't, I don't entirely think it was just because of the pressure that was going on them. I think there was, they, they had kind of other things and real life things as well. But Evictus decided to kind of fold and go, right, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're done. And that kind of removed that, that kind of non-Chinese time zone content from Esoterius. This was just before Christmas, I think 2021, we were looking at kind of going, well, what do we do now? We can't go and fight Evictus anymore. I know some of their corps, I think, came together to create an alliance called Reloaded, but they, they were distancing themselves from kind of AOM. They, they didn't want any part of it. And I think it was... The 4th of January, I want to say, but I might be wrong about the exact date, Fraternity as a whole put out a statement and went, right, we were down there, just the, the, the non-Chinese courts were down there. That's, we've done what we were there to do. Now the rest of Fraternity wholesale is going down there and we're going to have this war with AOM proper that everybody's been kind of trying to egg us on to do for the last three years at this point. And yeah, I mean, I was looking forward to a good three-month, four-month, kind of not what happened. Day two, I think, well, I mean, day, day two, I think there was a, a Discord exchange between, between me and BJK, actually, uh, about f- uh, 14, 1600 Eve time, which was, do we think you could ref a keep start with bombers? Is, is, is this a thing? Could we just ref a keep start with torque bombers to see if, it, just to see what would happen? I think we, we kind of formed up all of the EN fraternity and took something like a hundred and it was like a hundred and twenty something torp bombers down to Artac A, and uh, oh there you go, there's a video of it. Yeah, successfully <laughs> managed managed to ref their stage in Keepstar. I want to think it's really interesting with this is touching on the collapse of Evictus is that the Army of Mangoes had no non CN support anymore. So the, there used to be a group of alliances living in Esoteria covering all different time zones but with the fracture of, of Victus, there was just cn groups left so in this video we managed to push 120 bombers through a drifter wormhole and um, this uh, some guy who does a lot of streaming a guy called pando uh <laughs> he's very good at using drifter wormholes to navigate huge kiki stuka fleets and we're, we're basically taking this breach from that done the same thing i think luke dropped me a message at like 2 p.m in the afternoon is like hey bj you around <laughs> Usually, if I get a message like that, I've done something wrong. <laughs> but on the on this occasion, it was uh, good news. But uh, yeah, push them through. I think the only resistance we really had was one brave tornado pilot, like one poor guy warping around backwards and forwards. But yeah, we we thought it'd be incredible if it were possible. But if you have a group that's purely focused on one time zone, you're extremely vulnerable from from displays of force like this from from others and i think that's you know pushing on fraternity that has a mostly cn time zone base contingent like having coverage across the board is so important for any alliance of a scale like this can i just take a moment to highlight the fact that it for those watching the stream or the video later you're warping in using the wall fleet formation oh hell yeah like if you if you want to take a fleet out and you want to have either really good tracking with your ferox you warp them in a ball if you want to have like if you want to be spread out so you don't get bombed do a wall formation like 
Beyond B has done some amazing videos when this first came out about really good utilization. But, you know, no more are you going to take Ferox Fleet and all get annihilated because you've got bad tracking. Like, this has unlocked so much potential. It's, it's insane. I, I love these formations. It's one of the best things they've added to EVE in a while. I, I kind of want to pivot because there's been some questions in chat. So you're talking about AOM not having like English support allies because of the collapse of Evictus. So there was Hedwig in chat is asking, is Fraternity looking for English speaking players or are they going for Chinese more? And then he said, is it worth applying to any Fraternity Corp or not? And so they're curious as to which Corp they should apply to. I think an English speaking one. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts there or is Fraternity actively recruiting? So, I mean, from my side, yeah, Fraternity... Uh, is continuously recruiting. Yeah, we've, we're always looking for new pilots. There's a number of different corps on the the kind of EN EN side of fraternity. Uh, they're, they're, I mean, the easiest way to kind of to, to check it down would be actually to pull up pull up the Z kill with the different corps, and you can kind of see the activity times, and you can kind of get a bit of a feel for the sort of corp you want to join. If anyone ever wants to message me, they can. I'll, I'll kind of if they tell me what their play style is, I can kind of point them in a direction and go, you know, here's here's a good option because there is. There is quite a diversity. So, you know, we've got some corps that are very heavy EU focused, some that are very US focused, and some that are more PvP focused than others. You know, some, some that want to do a little bit more PvE sort of thing. So, you know, best best thing to do would be to, to kind of message me or talk on the TIS Discord and I can kind of point you in a direction if it's something you want to look at. All right, I've posted that in Twitch chat too cool. for your Discord. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Right. So back to back to roughing keep star with bombers in the Army of Mangoes war, or the PIBC war, I guess. So I think it took about fifty minutes, but it did get reft. It, it did successfully get reft. As I say, it, you know, it it took a bit of a time, but actually, I, I think it was quite fun. I think most people sitting on there knew it was taking fifty minutes. They also knew they were sitting in a bomber roughing a keep star, which you know is 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 a thing to joke about, right? It's a thing to have a bit of a laugh about, and and you know, just kind of chill out. And yeah, so that so that got reinforced, and then you know, obviously went to its armor timer. Forty eight hours later, there was a, a, a big old brawl in in Artak A. Might have to track down the Z kill for it. I mean, I think the honest answer is we got we got kind of pasted pretty hard. So obviously most most people in the EU were were at work. Most people in the US were at work. And um, obviously AOM formed up, and and you know through various different kind of parts of the the kind of the community you had AON there, and I think you had some elements of Jakaris there, and some elements of Ranger Regiment there. That, that to be clear, that wasn't the Imperium were there. It was it was kind of like the Chinese community on the Chinese community, kind of a little bit. Um, and also they've all got their own grudges outside of the kind of wider coalition politics of of kind of Eve sort of thing. And yeah, so I mean, we I think we had about nine hundred in system, seven hundred in system. Obviously we lost we lost that fight, you know, taking a fight in Munins against AOM and their super fleet on the keep start. It's only really gonna go one way, right? But the the fight was more a bit of a because of the animosity between between FRT and AOM, it was a bit of a this fight has to happen, you know, we know we're gonna lose, but let's just have a brawl, you know, have some fun. But we're not not gonna take this fight because of that. And that there were other there were other parties there. I think I think some of like Fire and XIX came to shoot AOM, kind of kicking around, and you know it was a little bit of a kind of some of the, I guess some of the grudges from World War V two kind of kind of coming up a little. But yeah, the Keepstar the Keepstar obviously ultimately repaired itself, and then we kind of get into this this kind of weird spiral that happened in AOM. So you know, two days I think it was two days after the Keepstar was repaired, we we heard that all of a sudden it had been transferred over to Goonswall. 
we'd already known that AOM had transferred some other stuff to various different entities. So we were kind of expecting it to get transferred somewhere. And it, and it obviously got transferred to Goonswarm. And, you know, you started to see notifications. Obviously, we had a war deck active with AOM at the time of, you know, Corp X has left, Corp Y has left. You know, I think over the course of about 30 minutes, I was literally hearing Eve bleep every kind of 10 seconds with these just these different corps leaving AOM kind of on their they kind of transition over to, to what, what they thought was Ranger Regiment at the time. And, and, and obviously, there's, there's some politics around that. I, I don't know the full details, but by the sound of it, AOM hadn't got permission to en masse merge into kind of Ranger Regiment. And there was nervousness that that was basically effectively why dotting an alliance, because obviously Ranger Regiment was by far the smaller entity of the two, which obviously culminated in... You know the the ATAC the ATAC A keep star being you know having its clone bay ripped out having its fuel ripped out going low power and being abandoned and and kind of having a bit of free for all on that keep star I think on like a, a kind of Saturday night if I remember correctly which was quite a cool spectacle um, it was kind of just a bit of a shame though it, it's a bit of an kind of almost a bit of an unceremonious way for an alliance to die and, and you know it would have been good to have had like a good two or three months of fighting regardless of who had won. Given the fact there'd been two or three years of ramp up to that that particular that particular war, but yeah, I I remember that because it was like from an outside perspective, it was fraternity declares war, and then a couple days later, war over, and like PIBC yeah. dissolved, and I was like, wait, what? And so, but then yeah. when you see all this space drama behind it, it's like, oh, well, that's that's disappointing because it was effectively was it like are the Army of Mango PIBC group all disbanded, and then did Ranger Regiment also disband? I believe Ranger yes. Regiment got kicked from the Imperium. I know a lot of their pilots went to Dakaris. I don't okay. know if Ranger Regiment is formally dead. Dead. I know there was. I know their leadership said something about we're going to go into hibernation and come back maybe at a later date. But I, I haven't been tracking yet. I must admit. Yeah. So like too late. Sorry. What were you saying, BJK? Oh, sorry. I just got to add that it's. Um, we, we joked about that at the time that we just completely collapse two relatively large alliances we called it like a speedrun challenge like killing two alliances is 71 hours with no death clones no dreads no carriers no supers no time like like a proper speedrun challenge you'd see online is it the a delete aom speedrun challenge ndc ndnc nsnt 71 hours yeah so like it's hilarious but at the same time i, I thought that was like kind of sad like you had these alliances which had you know their history they had their beefs with people and now they no longer exist. So from like an outside perspective, I thought that end of the war was kind of sad because usually like I would prefer like normal wars where you just fight and kick somebody gets kicked out of an area and they just move like that's at least entertaining because then there's still people staying in the game and whatnot. Yeah. And I, I, and I, I will, I will say one thing. I mean, I, I kind of agree, right. It's, it's, it's actually not good for a game, for the game, for an alliance to die. Right. Because for every alliance that dies, you know, 20% of them will never kind of come back. They'll, they'll leave, that's it, sort of thing. And, and you know, that, is, that is bad, bad for the game. But, you know, in this scenario, it's kind of, it was their own actions, right? <laughs> they transferred to Keepstar. I don't, you know, I don't know the story of that one, but it is, it is sad to see a couple, of, a couple of alliances die regardless of any form of animosity because, yeah, that's, that's just another, what, two, three hundred people that, and not logging in, to be fair. Yeah, for sure. And I guess the kind of the only other thing off, I guess the last point, in, like notable point in history, uh, kind of up to this point, is the is the kind of posh fen. So, obviously, 
you know, Poshven's an interesting region when it got when it got made Poshven. Uh, a number of those systems had pretty good blocks range over Vale of the Silent. So obviously they'd been fighting backwards and forwards, you know, just kind of small gangs that were kind of blocking out of uh, kind of out of Poshven and then that had kind of gone backwards and forwards and you know, I'm sure there was there was some posts about saying, you know, that they're an enemy we need to go and deal with from Norris and then kind of things like that. And just at the same time we were kind of dealing with the, the back end of the PIBC side of things. So we had a Fortzar in Navula. I think Rote had two Fortzars in Navula. One was Rote, one was like Freeport, but I think it was it was technically their fort. And at the back end of at the back end of that fight, they they pushed our kind of Fortzar in Navula down to Hull. So it's just like, right, okay. We finished down in South. We kind of now have to do what we need to do really to protect this fort because there's two hostile forts in the system. Yeah, this is kind of awkward. Obviously we formed up for the the kind of the Navula timer, I know that was videoed quite, I think it's quite a few streams of the Navula fight. I think it was like 1300 frat in local or something crazy. I mean, it was just ridiculous. Yeah, it was, it was just ridiculous number. You know, that was quite a long exercise through filaments and, and, and everything else. And then obviously proceeded to, you know, to fight over that fort, it repaired and then kind of upset a whole load of the individuals in Posh Van Bogan. Right, these two other forts in Navula are now dying. This, we, you know, from a from a protection perspective, we need to protect this fort. And and if every time we leave the system is getting reinforced, you know, kind of that's an issue. So that kind of executed that campaign in in kind of Poshven to kind of clear out those those kind of structures that are hostile to us. I know BJK, you did a lot on that, so you, you probably have some some takes on that. Oh boy, yeah. So first of all, getting into Davula was quite the challenge. So if you get again to Poshven, you either have to go in through a wormhole, which has to be scanned inwards. And push a load of pilots through and just pray it's not camped on the other side. Or you break your 255-man fleet into, what, 18 smaller 15-pilot fleets. Then you all filament in, and then you can end up in one of any nine systems, depending which filament you take. Then you all regroup on each Stargate, and oh, oh that was not fun. <laughs> the times were like, so if you wanted to get into the target system, we're in the top right corner now, Vula. So you'd, you'd break your fleet down, um, you'd have your dot line open, You'd have your pre-made bookmarks on each gate, and you're just like, okay, if you're in this system, take this warp jump. Okay, you need to drop fleet and join this fleet. Okay, everyone who's in this system, take this warp. And uh, like, I think we formed like three hours before the timer just to get in. And when you're finally in system, and the fleet's like, okay, right, it's taken us two hours, let's fight. And you land on grid with the timer. There's still an hour remaining. Everyone, like, you can just hear the collective sigh <laughs> across everyone in comes. It's like. Some people aren't, like, you used to just fight where you undock and go. But a three-hour setup was just unheard of. People were not happy. But then, as soon as we were in that final system, we had one fleet camp in one gate, one fleet camp in another gate, and it was just an endless stream of people trying to get into system because anyone and everyone we've ever annoyed, which appears to be quite a few people, um, was trying to dogpile in and get involved in this timer. You know, hats off to, to Rote, who just had a seemingly infinite supply of ravens that they can just transfer to anybody who came along that really good infrastructure in that system it took a long time to to wipe it out but yeah the logistics of getting in was a nightmare but finally grinding to push the hostile timer into hull we'd we'd usually gone with munins and try and bait out as many capitals as we can and you know if you can kill one capital in in poshvin amazing because they can't be rebuilt in poshvin like it's, it's an item that cannot be like there's there's no value for it because it's just unattainable 
So trying to kill as many of those as we could was great. But then when we finally decided, look, you know what? This hostile fortisar needs to go down now. You know, the people in there were blopsing into Vale of the Silent. For those who don't know, if you're in Poshvin, or yeah, if you're in Poshvin, you can Black Ops bridge out of Poshvin. Or you can, you know, you can bridge out of Poshvin if you have a Titan there. But you cannot bridge into Poshvin. You have to take a filament back in or take a wormhole back in. So like living over in Vale of the Silent, you're very vulnerable to everybody around there. But you know, trying to there's there's no counter for it. You can't go back in and and harass them. So on the one hand, we had our Fortisar that was pushed into Hull. We didn't like that, so we took action. But the other hand is that for months our EU and US time zone was being camped on nearly every Ansiblex and you know every Sino Beacon and every Stargate within three jumps of our staging system. So um, it was a long time coming. When we decided we wanted to go for that, we we uh, tried a completely new doctrine for us. We used Rokes 290 off the Fortisar itself, and we had everything move around us. So knowing that they mostly had Ravens, we just sat on the edge of their range. And you know, if you if you take it a fight, you, we just drew a line of the sand and say, right, we're going to sit here in this position. If you want to come and fight us, you have to come out of tether range. You have to bring your caps to us, and then we will fight you. Like we're not taking that fight. On your structure at zero anymore, you've got to come to us. I think we've got a pretty good video here somewhere of how that fight went down. And yep. I may be jumping the gun, but eventually you guys were able to purge all of the structures in Navulo, right? Except your own. Yes, yep, all of those went down eventually. But again, we used the wall formation here. We took that fleet into that position and from here, this is just super sped up. You could see every fleet kind of dancing around where the block of battleships were. We just kind of sat there and made everything move towards us. You can see like there's a Goonswarm Tornado fleet. There was a a Volter and uh, Snuff Cerberus fleet moving around. Yeah, we had Rokes and one Mutant fleet contingent bounce around too. But yeah, these kind of plays don't happen in Null because you could just sign up on top of our Rokes at zero with Jackdaws and win. You know, it's... It, the, this fight could only have ever happened in Nelviola, and seeing it go down like this in, you know, 2022 was was pretty wild. But yeah, for us that was that was a nice statement to be able to to control that. But yeah, that's probably the the most recent campaign we've had. It's been a hell of a lot of fun. Other than maybe the snuff bubble camp, but I'm also conscious we've used that we've blabbed for an hour and forty. So <laughs> I am I am still curious about Potchfin. Like you put a lot of effort into it. Clearly, it was a good source of content a few weeks, a few months ago. Is it still an important part of Fraternity's holdings? Is it big for like income and that sort of thing? We definitely have pilots that use Potchfin in the in the same way other pilots do for their income. So, to a degree, it is is still definitely a a place for income. One of the other things that's quite unique about Potchfin. Is, is obviously actually it covers quite a large area on the map, right? So you can kind of use it to get across quite a lot of space relatively quickly if you already have the signers on the outside ready to go. Um, so it's quite good to move blops through and, and kind of in a similar way that you might use drifter wormholes, but with a bit more bit more consistency. We still definitely do quite a lot of stuff in Poshman. Wait, so how does that movement work? You like wormhole in and then Titan bridge out? Uh, kind of, if you change the view to constellation, so a uh, constellation name. Um, so at the moment it's TCU ownership. Um, yeah, because perfect. So there's three kind of filaments to get in. 
either the Cry Perrin, the Cry Velas, or the Cry Zvarog, and you take either five or 15 pilots. And when you take that filament, you and up to 14 other pilots will get sent to one of those systems, but it's completely random which one. So if you want to bring a 256 pilot fleet through, you have to break your 256 pilot fleet into, what, 16, 15 pilot fleets. And then each of those groups has to take its own filament, then you could end up in any one of those systems that's named the same as the constellation. So, like, we'd do that, and you'd be in a random spot in Dead Space. So we'd be like, oh, okay, we were going to take the Cryperin, and then some of us would be in the constellation, some wouldn't. But if we're all coming into Nalvula, you could have half the fleet in Arcella, you could have half the fleet in Canola, and then it's very hard to push into Nalvula because you've got two halves of a fleet trying to get into one system, which is what stuff and vaulted did when they tried to come in but we'd instead take the filaments to the to the bottom right hand corner so we had a bunch of people in let's say alia at the bottom would say right if you're in alia everybody take this warp jump into kul okay now everybody in kul take this warp to ton everybody in ton take this warp to harbor and it takes so long to get in but once you'd finally made your way to the right hand side of the pipe your entire fleet was together and you could push further into Nalvula, and then you've got one 256 man fleet trying to storm a gate rather than two different groups i think the other point artemis what you were saying about kind of like rapid movement right it's it's if you kind of consider posh as, as a whole and you kind of then add to that filament sort of thing so if you kind of filament into the the kind of bottom left constellation for example and then kind of end up in somewhere like Vale, you you can you can black ops bridge because obviously that that still works you can you can jump to a black ops sino in like genesis for example that's actually a really quick way of moving across the center of the map. So uh, Genesis to the left of where you are now, just down. This the this the black one. So you can you can kind of move around. So it kind of gives you a little bit of of additional kind of way of going to find content because you have that range through Poshven, uh, which I know some people definitely use it for. It's also nice too, like as compared to wormholes, wormholes can probably cut down travel time, especially if you're trying to get into Poshven. But wormholes will also take a lot of effort to scan down, especially drifters. Like a single person or two people doing drifters can still take an hour. And that's if you get lucky on what on what you're looking for. Whereas Poshvin's that consistent, very easy to get to. It just takes some time. Consistency so, is a big thing, right? Yeah, like you guys were saying. It's the consistency because you always know Novula's always going to be there. You can always get into or out of Novula. And like from from kind of like yeah, so like from Vale you can get down to kind of Genesis, and then from like Raravoz you can get down to Providence. It's quite a lot of space covered, just because of the way when it was created, the kind of system stayed where they were in like relative to everything else. It's quite a quite an interesting region for for moving through. And that sort of brings us up to present day. I think the only I think the only other thing of kind of like note since then was the was the the snuff bubble camp in 4H. I know it's been documented quite quite a lot, and those bubbles are still there today, right? So to be clear, that camp is still there. We still know what's logged off inside. It's a lot less than than was there previously. I mean, but that that was that was great, right? I mean, effectively, you know, it was snuff doing what snuff do best and, and dropping on something, and and having like I think it just so happened that the the kind of right or wrong depending on whose perspective you're taking, people were, were still logged into the game when that happened. So it was just kind of screeching on comms the moment the server kind of logged back in again. It's like, right, just, just get bubbles. Just bubble everything. And, and, you know, for a couple of weeks after that, there was, you know, it was pretty good content, right? You had people like in it coming to help snuff to clear bubbles. And 
obviously everyone wants to get in that fight right like i think you'd get a message from pl like i know we're we're kind of not you know we're not blue anymore but can we come down and just just join in this fight when it kicks off because it was it was literally like every day at you know every day at about 1800 eve you'd see a ping go out and and everyone would just descend on our staging system which obviously for our guys was great right because they could just just undock and, and you know but i think that's that's probably the last big thing that people that people know about right i mean there's we're, there's always fighting around things like Dino and stuff but so then like looking at the current state of play We've got what regions are under control by Fraternity and your friends? So Vale, Tribute, well, Vale, most of Tribute, <coughs> not all of Tribute, and three constellations in Gemini, I believe. Uh, obviously, we seeded Oasa, Peregrine Falls um, over to over to Pam Pam once we'd, once we'd finished moving and as part of the kind of, kind of reset of all of our standings, we, we kind of transferred all of our holdings out of the drones oh and obviously branch and teen sorry right on so you've got sort of ex friends back in the drone lands which are you're going to be on relatively friendly terms with down in the low sec we've got snuffed out and all of the low sec people there then over to your west in pure blind and then higher up into fade declan we're looking at GTC, which I forget what it stands for, but it's like Volta and all of their crew, who were pretty hostile with, right? Yeah, they went through a period of coming ground in like Drake Navy issues most days and hitting Ansiplexes. Uh, they've got a few really decent FCs over there, but over the last few months, a lot of pilots from Volta have transitioned out of Volta and into Snuffed Out. Um, so, like, there seems to be a constant cycle of people permacamping Vale, right? So, like, there was corp in horde that would campus 24 7 when they left rope capel started when they left volta started when they left stuff out started when they left the corp from horde came back around and then when they left a different corp in horde start camping us so like there's always something to do there's always someone to shoot so like we're not strike like it's not <laughs> it's not bad at all but at the moment volta haven't done too much or greater trash coalition haven't done too much this is heated up in pure blind uh, with brave getting set up in pure blind as well i think for the same reason that fraternity moved towards the center of the map we've seen brave do something similar they're down in q5 in the middle of that kite yeah they've they've seen some really interesting growth and and they've done some great things there too but yeah there's a lot of those alliances in the north and the northwest basically anybody who's not down in Tenerife right now is up in the north instead having constant fun but we've got people that we've we've kind of pushed out of Venal, but you can never really push anyone out of Venal. Set up in NPC stations. I know NC and PL had a campaign against Boss up there too. But those groups will always roam into Tribute and Vale. They'll either like do blops in towards us or ESS roams. But yes, yeah, always very warm. Always very warm. But yeah, we get and it from all like, angles. And then you get people like Mist turn up with like 200 stabbers. It's just like, okay. Port, port, port as well, and here's a load of Stavitor corps. I tried to take a fleet of Blackbirds to fight Fraternity. We went into the ESS to kill a Paladin, and it was like, he was set up super outside the bubble, just sniped us off one by one. I was so salty. I, I did, oh, no. I did yeah. get a message from, who was it, from Rich Richmond, when he was still super active with like the ESS stuff. He just sent me a screenshot of him jumping into an ESS in Vale, and there have been like 15 golems in there or something silly. 
And it's just like, this, this is not fun. <laughs> it's just... Yeah. Well, we've, we've, we've kind of learned from getting slapped by doing that ourselves. So, like, we'll see an ESS notification in the region. We'll go and see what it's all about. And there'll be, like, a stabber inside. And we're like, okay, there's, like, a stabber and, like, 10 harbingers on D-Scan. We can take that. Let's just, you know, take 15, 20 people. It'll be fine. And then when we go in, 10 paladins decloak 200 kilometers away. We're like, where did you come from? Like, completely unscouted. Yep. They'd been there for, like, 15, 20 minutes trying to set up. So, like, watching that happen to us, we're like, okay... We know we're going to write in 4H. We know we're going to write in P3N. Let's put our own stuff in that system ready. And we have, like, in quite a few of these systems now, we have our own Marauders set up. But, yeah, we <laughs> we learned that from other people, we'll say. <laughs> no, it's great, though. Like, just having content come to your front door, I know. I, that's always good with groups, like, something to consider besides just, hey, we have to form a fleet to do something. Having content come to you where people can kind of take their own initiative to go and fight is pretty good. Yeah, it definitely builds into having that reason to log in. Like, wanted to join Frat in 2021. Being in an alliance that's always doing something, uh, whether it's to take more solve or to you know bring its players more centrally and to teach them new ways to play. Like, for any Norsec alliance, it's a really, really healthy environment to be, but to know that there's always a reason to log in. There's always something to do. There's always a fleet roaming around. There's there's always a fight to be had. I think that's that says a lot for, for the game in its current state. Yeah, for sure. To say any, so that was the more recent history of fraternity. Do you guys? I know you had the PIBC campaign, but what's next for fraternity? It sounds like you guys are settled in a space and you're having fun in your day to day. But as fraternity, like gearing up for war, are they just you know kind of going with the flow. Do you do you have any insight you can provide us? I think at the moment, I mean, like Eve in general is in a really strange place at the moment. I think it's fair to say. Like, I mean, if you just look at like the, the concurrent play play account at the moment, right? It's back down to like the blackout sort of level, and, and you know, and, and some of that's because of, of of changes CCP have pushed, but also, you know, some of it's a snowball, right? If you if you take a load of people out of the game, then there's less people around, there's less people to fight. If that's your if if that's your play style, and it kind of almost gets into this this kind of horrible self feeding kind of feedback loop, right? Of there's less people, so people log off because there's nothing to do. And I think that, like the big the, my, like my kind of personal big focus i don't know the, the big focus for, for kind of frat leadership at the moment is just about making sure there's still reasons for people to log in and making sure that we are you know we are chasing those small fights or we are seeing what's going to go on somewhere else that we can take those people that want to kind of engage in those fights over there and do it rather than just kind of you know stagnate and and kind of get fed into that kind of loop of of you know there's nothing to do so people aren't logged in sort of sort of situation does fraternity have like SIG special interest groups or I think Horde calls them bigs or whatever like are, are you guys doing that as well or are you more corp based we, so we do have special interest groups we've got some special interest groups around things like posh venom blops and incursions we also we do encourage corps to kind of go and do their own thing as well you know corps should have their own autonomy right they are corps it's, it's the you know the smallest collective group of a player in the game it's you know and, and I still kind of stand by what I said previously on on other streams which is that you know execs are there to serve the corpse and corpse are there to serve their members and that's kind of like the social hierarchy of the game sort of thing so we we will encourage corpse to do their own thing as well we don't we don't like block sigs or anything like that you know if an sd camera comes in i've got this really cool idea and so i want to do it you know we, we tend to be pretty supportive of that sort of thing as, as long as it's not something like crazy like i've got this sig of 100 paladins that i want to fly through delve or something i don't know but, but generally speaking, we'll 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 support kind of ideas when they when when people bring them forward, sort of thing. 
Awesome. And I've seen LB post this a couple times. Can you explain what Polaris Mercenary Alliance is, who they are? So Polaris Mercenary Alliance, unlike what LB's saying, is not a SIG. It is another Chinese group. Yes, Fraternity has a relationship with Polaris Mercenaries, just like, you know, a lot, a lot of groups have relationships through, his, through shared history and things, but it is not a SIG within Frat. Alrighty, I think his other comment was, it was something, it sounded like Fraternity has alts within Polaris Mercenary Alliance or something like that, but I, I don't know what that was about. I mean, I guess it's, it, I guess it's possible. You know, the, the, the Chinese community obviously is, is, you know, very specific. You know, they're, they're friends, they fly together sort of thing. But, but formally, Polaris Mercenary Group is part of fraternity. In fact, it's, if we do the kind of prehistory thing at a later date in the ancient history, there's even a point in there around kind of 2013, somewhere around BTACR, where Polaris Mercenary Group kind of became their own thing and where PLA became their own thing. And, you know, so, you know, a lot of them used to be together under under one community is kind of a very small number of Chinese players on TQ. So there is a relationship there, but they're not formally part of FRAT or or, or anything like that. Okay. LB's claiming that they shoot blues, which sounds like a them problem. It more does than sound like a them problem. I feel like I feel like he has beef with y'all, but maybe maybe he's mixing you up with who is that other group in the South? He was fighting against someone like Horde and Test and whatnot. I mean it's, I mean, as Bishik said before, we seem to have a lot of enemies. So <laughs> yeah, you could join the line. <laughs> LB before, I don't know. It's possible. I'm just giving LB a hard time. He's on staff, as you guys know. So. <laughs> no, I don't. So if that covers everything with fraternity, I guess we could go to more general news before closing out the stream. I don't know if you guys had any prior thought or any more thoughts, or if you're if you're ready to transition. It takes no, sound. All right, yeah, I think that probably covers most things. Yeah. So. Eve Scout slash Signal Cartel. It's really funny. In my notes, it says nerding out. So they're celebrating 1 million wormholes. What is it? 1 million, 1 million wormholes scanned or jumped? Jumps? 1 million wormholes jumped? Okay. I thought it was going to be scans, and I was like, that is insane. But 1, 1 million wormhole jumps is intense. So that's exciting. That's exciting for them. So those who don't know, Eve Scout is a... I would say passive is probably the best way to describe them. They don't actively partake in PvP in any way, shape, or form unless in self-defense. And they run a lot of programs such as conveniently named the Eve Scout program like website where you can actually track Thera wormholes. And so they have the Thera bookmarks, which are public, the wormhole, which we call it mapping, I would say. I don't know if you would call it that, but you can search. So if you have, if you're stuck in Thera or you need a quick way home instead of scanning yourself, you can just search through the Thera bookmarks and then try to get home or to wherever you need to go. So huge props to them. They have some notorious names. Started out with, I would say, Johnny Splunk. I think I think that's the right Johnny. Johnny Splunk, who's done a lot for Eve. Minxi, who's done a lot for Eve. And Katia Say, who's also done a lot for Eve. And then that's those are just like the top leadership that I remember off the top of my head. They have way more. So great, great organization and huge props to them. Yeah, the crazy part about Signal Cartel and their whole scanning thing is they're able to track how many wormholes they jump through because they have this like AI companion thing that members can opt into using and it does some tracking stuff through the ESI and it's generally really cool from what I've heard about it but it they just created a data dump of all of this information about the, the systems they visited or the jumps that they did and they're going through and pulling out random interesting bits of data that's really impressive holy cow 
that that's super interesting. But props to them. That's exciting. I don't know. Like, I feel like can in, do you have to be in Signal Cartel to use it? Or can any? Oh, it does say anyone can use it. I think. Yeah, I don't know where you get it. Probably there's somewhere on their website that talks about. It even has a name, and I forget what it's called. Copilot Allison. Yeah, it's yeah. it's in their website. They have a wiki page for it. Nice. So hopefully, if you if you want to track that stuff, you guys can get that. Which is always hilarious to me to offer to Eve players because Eve players are notoriously paranoid about spies and stuff like that. But I feel like if you had to blindly trust any group in Eve, Signal Cartel is probably your best bet. And maybe many people do blindly trust Signal Cartel with like their wormhole rescue caches and that sort of thing. So that's Signal Cartel. The other one was actually, I think Arcia was talking about this and participated. So the System Bay in Metropolis, high sec system, actually had a, I would say, I want to say massive battleship brawl, but it is massive for high sec, not massive in the grand scheme of null sec fights. So pretty even sides. And they, I think it was all due to war decks because it was in high sec. So you had like a couple smaller fleets kind of going at it, fighting. And it actually resulted in like some pretty decent like battle report. People just brawling it out and whatnot. There was the comment that because it's high sec, logi was really difficult to do because you cannot, you cannot rep neutrals, which also, so I say neutrals, but neutrals also include people not in your corp or alliance. So if you are in a high sec war deck, and you try to rep someone, you have to make sure your safety's green so you don't accidentally give yourself a suspect or a criminal timer. So so that was really, really interesting. Um, Many times have I died not paying attention to that particular mechanic. Yes. And you and if you're a null sec player, you just go into high sec thinking, oh, I don't need to change my sec status or my safety or whatever, and it's almost always red because it keeps it convenient. But I think I think they were just like fighting, what was it? It was like faction warfare nerds fighting pirates, and the pirates were staged in high sec. So, like, there was a war deck declared, and then both sides had allies declare. So then they just started brawling out, and it was... It sounds like it was, like, hilariously fun. But they were they were going after the war HQ, which is why it happened in that particular system. And you can see, yeah, the Astra houses on the battle report, too. Yeah, it looks like, looks like they had fun. Oh, yeah. I'd like to come up with things like that, since medium structures have just the two timers now. Yeah. So, look, that's a good purge. That's a good call, too, because now you can... If you and then it's even different too now with high sec because if you have a war deck, I think it makes it faster. So they can't can't war deck and then back out right away. So you have to if you manage to reinforce something, you can actually finish it off. Yeah, I remember reading some about that. Isn't it? It's, it's a short timer, isn't it, between the reinforce to the. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when when the stuff was first introduced with citadels, it was impossible to kill a war HQ if the if the attacker in the war deck like was fine with dropping the war because the reinforcement was so long with the three timers and then the distance between the armor timer and the hull, you would be guaranteed to be able to drop your war deck before the final timer came out. And so they just never died. And over time, CCP has been shortening and making special exceptions for the war HQ to ensure that it's able to be killed and the defenders have a reason to sort of undock and fight and end the harassment. Because also with the changes, like if you kill a war HQ, then the owners of that war HQ can't declare war on you again for I think it's two weeks. So it's it's a good incentive to to make these fights happen. Yeah, so I'm excited. As somebody who's attempted war deck mechanic stuff, it's super tedious. So I'm glad like this change happened. And like and now we're seeing obviously like battleship brawls don't always happen in high sec all the time. So something like this looks really like it's a good like change. 
Yeah, and they're the Torp Typhoon Fleet Issues. Where else are you going to see those in EVE Online? Then in a Stitch Caneland video, but that's another story. Yeah. I want to say, I know the one thing I wanted to touch on, because I feel like this is super time sensitive, is the CSM election. So I know, Luke, you are actually running for CSM, so you are probably intimately familiar with all these. But CCP has processed all the applications, so the people who wanted to run for CSM, deadline's already passed, so no one new can try. But the 25th, so I think that's this Tuesday, Wednesday. Wednesday. It's Wednesday they're going to do a live stream um, where they announce the candidates, and then they're doing the campaign period between that the Wednesday, and then the, I believe it was the following Tuesday. No, I'm bad at math. Um, so it's when, Wednesday. And there's, no, it's actually like almost two weeks of campaign period, so that's good. So then it'll be end on a Sunday. And so with the campaign period, CCP is going to be doing interviews. I know other players have been doing interviews as well. I wanted to say streamers, but I know they do it on podcasts as well. Ashtarathi being a big one who does interviews. So if you, Luke, specifically want to help reach out, reach out to folks get interviews done. I know you're in fraternity, so you may be number one on their ballot, which, you know, is one thing. But it's also a good experience to campaign and talk to I folks. Because right? you kind of look at it and everyone's like, oh, it's a null candidate. And I'm like, well, yes, it is true that I'm, I like, I personally have a natural leaning towards null, obviously. But I, I don't think, I don't, I don't think you can kind of focus on one area of space, right? Because the health of the game is cyclical, right? Everyone starts as a new player, everyone goes through an arc, whether it's you know, through high sec into low sec and then maybe to null or, or you know, high sec to null or never, you know, never go to null and they go off to a worm. You know, and the whole, the whole ecosystem kind of is, is self-fueling, right? So to kind of go, oh, I want to focus on this, this kind of one part of the game, I think it, it kind of ignores the fact that actually there's a reason everyone plays Eve and that's because it's hyper-complicated and, and, and everything is super interconnected, right? And, you know, and yes, there are some things on my list like force projection, which are, are very much null related sort of things, right? Like, you know, I, I think probably there is too much force projection in the current jump bridge system. I'm not saying go back to fatigue. That's a whole other, you know, I, I don't miss that level of fatigue, but I, I do think it creates issues, right? But then, you know, there's, there's stuff around faction warfare, which CCP obviously said they're going to look at, which is great. And, and, and things around like the kind of PVE game and, and the fact that's very monotonous. And, you know, I, I personally think if you kind of play any other MMO, you know, you stick all of the really good PVE content up to like, I don't know, let's say level 30 if it's World of Warcraft. And by the time you've got there, you're kind of emotionally invested and you want to just carry on playing. Whereas I kind of think Eve could do a, a little bit more of that. Yeah, we've got the MPE. That's great. You might go and do like the one of a couple of the epic arcs. But at that point, you then really do, do fall into this realm of, the same kind of the same level four mission or the same level five mission or the same you know burner mission and i think i'm just not sure for like the new players that's gonna keep people and want to keep them to stay compared to, to kind of compared to other games sort of thing but I've, i mean obviously i've got my post up obviously on the on the forum people can kind of go and check out and, and kind of ask questions rather than yeah so so post on the forum the post on the forums i don't think so the live candidate announcement i don't think all candidates have their posts up so they'll be good to see a stream where we can actually see them all. Don't, um, obvious, obviously I don't the know what the cutoff was for the forum post, so it was a bit... It, it, CCP did request that it was done by the 20th, which was the end of processing. So I suspect most people will have their posts up now, but that was kind of, that was kind of mentioned in between the process of people applying. It wasn't part of the kind of structured announcement. Yeah. I think most of them should be. I think how many they said there was forty six candidates. Yeah, forty six candidates with only three returning. So 
there were so that means current CSM who are trying to run again. That's how many posts there are up at the moment. Was last year the first year, or is this year the first year where the rules about incumbents running again is implemented? It's it's this year. So I think if you scroll up a little on the website, it should say the the four which can't run. Yeah. So nominate Merkelchen, Gobbins, and Billy. So even if they wanted to run, they aren't able. So they have to do one year cooldown period. Yeah, that's right. So I think, as I say, I think most people have got their forum posts up now. I haven't haven't scooped through and counted it because normally there's you know like all the time there's a couple of forum posts that aren't actually campaign posts that CCP haven't removed yet. I think I saw a post about forced participation in human trafficking in the CSM campaign thing. That's been locked now by CCP, but... Yeah. Well, some people, right? So this goes back to, like, when you're not talking about focus of the game. Some people, all they... Like, they don't do social media, so they just post on the forums. And so I think that actually had to do with, like, a mission where you had to rescue someone, and so it gave you, like, the little NPC character. But because you were flying them around, they called it human trafficking. I don't know. But but that's one of those things where, yeah, like, most people don't read the forums. I mean, now people might for the campaign, but there's a huge active group of players that go out and use the forums and, you know. I think Tib just said, Ken, Arthur, and Brisk are the incumbents that are running again. I know all three of those are running, so I think that is yes. the, the three incumbents. Yes, as far as I'm aware, those, those would have been the three. Which is interesting, because that means seven of the current CSM are not running it. And usually we see a lot of repeats, so it, it's kind of exciting seeing a bunch of new faces, a bunch of new groups. We'll also see the effects after the big last big war, where you can see like how votes are aligned with like block votes and stuff like that. But it's interesting. Yeah. It's going to be a fun couple of weeks. That's going to be good. Yeah, so make sure you get out there and campaign. I know probably being on the show helps for you, Luke. But to anyone else out there, speaking of campaigning, so on Talking in Stations, we actually have a a CSM discussion channel. And so people can post their ad campaigns and then we start threads. So then that way, if people have deliberate questions for you or they want to see what questions you've answered, you can go out and do that. So that's something for those who don't watch videos or don't watch podcasts or anything along those lines. I mean, one, one thing I could ask if people listening, like if, if anyone's out there that kind of has very specific parts of the game they want to have a conversation with, please do reach out with me about it as well. I know I've reached out to some of the faction warfare groups. I've reached out to some of the, the kind of small gang groups to kind of kind of get their opinion of what is right and what is wrong. And, and, you know, I think I even said in my post, it's impossible to know everything about everything. You know, if you say you know everything about everything, you usually know nothing. So, you know, people, people that want to kind of voice their opinion, please, please reach out. Yeah, for sure. And that's, that's also what makes EVE interesting. And even something like CSM interesting, where there's so many different aspects of the game. You have such a wild, like a wild variety of experiences and play styles. But that, that was what I wanted to call out. So campaign, so big stream on the 25th, and then voting starts on June 7th. So those who are wanting to vote in any way, shape, or form, make sure you do that. I don't, I don't think it lasts more than a week, but I'm going to say, yeah, I think it's only a week. But make sure you vote ASAP. I'm going away to Eve New Orleans that weekend, so I actually have to vote right away to make sure my votes get counted and I don't run into like any technical issues with the websites. But it's exciting stuff, so make sure you go out and vote. Make your voice be, make your voice heard and be known, whether you're talking to candidates or through the voting. Sorry, my cat was talking to me. I think we'll do wrap-up with final thoughts. I don't know if we... I would say, Artemis, do you have any final thoughts, or should I just focus on the guests? All good. 
All right. BJK, do you have any final thoughts or shout out, shout outs or anything in particular? Oh, I'd say shout out to anybody who's come into Veil of the Silent as an attacker or a defender. Thank you for giving me reasons to log in and play for the last year and a half specifically during mine and my corpse time here in Fraternity. Yeah, it's a good place to be. And yeah, just the opportunity to actually talk about it. It's like you see so many people on Reddit talking about, you know, the Imperium or, you know, Panfam. Like it's it's very rare that another group gets to focus. So yeah, nice to be able to talk about eight years worth of stuff in one go. Yeah, covered almost two hours worth. <laughs> All right, and Luke? Yeah, I, I kind of I probably echo a little BJK's thing about people coming into Vale because it's it's giving it's giving my pilots reasons to want to log in, right? Which is great, and that's exactly what I want. I think, and then the kind of big thing at the moment that's kind of interesting. So as I, I said before, you know, Eve is in this interesting place at the moment, and I think, you know, you can either you can either sit and kind of complain about it on Reddit and and go, you know what, Eve Eve is dead. I mean, that's been a joke since like two thousand three, you know, and you you can you can totally do that, or you know you can you kind of in, you can engage in the process bit, vote from CSM, talk to CSMs, or like you know reaching out there via various different channels and, you know, try and kind of make make Eva a kind of better place and a place people want to log in again to, I think is my, my big thought. No, oh, thank you. Those are good thoughts. With that, we'll wrap it up this week's episode of Talking in Stations. Stay tuned because eventually we will talk about the, the early, early era of fraternity so we can kind of wrap this whole thing together. And then who knows, maybe in like within the next year, we'll see another big war where, where fraternity will take place. So thank you, everyone. Have a good night.